0: Hi, this is Scott from Colorado Springs, also known as Silly Rabbit Seven One Nine. I wanted to wish GM Dave, GM Chris, and of course Twilet Goodness, I wanted to wish you a very happy one hundredth episode. And I've just been so happy to be a part of it with you guys. Uh, I think you all do a great job. And uh, hey, I wish you another hundred more. Thank you. So uh, we're supposed to talk about our show now. Our show? Yeah. Game on. You remember, right?
1: Yeah,
2: it's coming back to me now. Wasn't that your show with Andy?
0: Yes, and now you co-host it with me. Do you remember nothing? How do you live your day-to-day life?
3: I get by somehow. So I suppose it's about games, huh?
0: Yes, games. Real games, not fake games like Monopoly and Yahtzee.
2: Oh, right! You only like games that normal people have never heard of.
0: Correct! Hence the podcast. It's educational. It's entertaining. It's edutainmenting. <laughs> That's what he said. What's that supposed to mean? Tune in and find out. Plus learn how to get your game on.
2: Inconceivable.
1: That's what I wanted to
4: say.
0: Correctly with the correct amount. radio your gamers radiocom Execute Order 66
5: This episode of The Order 66 podcast brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com, Buy.com, and Brian from Game On speaking one octave higher than his normal voice in his promo. Welcome back, Gamer Nation, to the Order 66 podcast. This is episode number niner-niner, double or niner-niner, 198 divided by two.
3: So kind of like 99 bottles of beer on the wall. That's
5: right. Episode 33 oh, times, times three, 45 times two plus nine. So
3: this has to be three times better than episode 33.
5: I would hope so, because 33 was a long time ago, and it probably sucked because you weren't on it. <gasps> Oh, oh, see,
6: a compliment. See? From-
5: oh, sweet. Yay. See, speaking oh. of that, I need to introduce tw- 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 that goodness.
3: Hi, how are you, Gamer I'm, Nation?
7: I'm just fine.
3: Oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> you know, Gamer Nation only responds to me. It's amazing that they actually talk to me. That's like right. That. Sp- I love it. They speak Beautiful. in
5: mass. That is the game. That was the Gamer Nation voice right there. Dave I'm GM Dave, by Channels. the way. Yeah. Fresh, fresh back from a trip to see Shamu.
3: He didn't like bite or kill anybody while you were there, did he? Well,
5: he hey, did. Too he soon. Did. <laughs> too, soon. <laughs> too
3: soon. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm he sorry. actually,
5: uh, yeah, he 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 dragged my daughter underwater, and I went in after him, kicked his ass, and pulled my daughter out. It was awesome. awesome. It made the local made the local news.
3: I didn't know it. whales had asses. But hey, cool. You know, That's whatever. All right.
5: That's all right. I tell you what, this this sea lion that was performing rolled over and like did did sit ups, and boy, he had his ass hanging everywhere. So I'm telling you, <laughs> baby <big Yeah. ass laughs> sea lion. All think. mammals have asses. Oh yeah, the, uh, that other voice you hear. It's GM
3: Chris. Nah, eh, not any more important. We don't need to talk about him.
6: Eh, I'm not that important. <laughs> wow. What is up, gamer nation? GM Chris here, and for those of you maybe may be tuning in for the very first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And uh, we so have a long cast tonight. Um, so
5: we'll get started. Yeah. Accessing. Ah,
0: good. New acquisitions.
6: Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCKSIM, and this is your Hollow HoloNewsNet update.
7: Hello, Gamer Nation. <laughs> <laughs> so,
6: See, now you're channeling the Gamer Nation, but you're talking to the Gamer Nation, and that's confusing. Okay. Yeah. Just saying. Just I'll, saying.
5: I'll take it back. So, the feature podcast this week is The Brew City Gamers. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly, and so. I think uh, this
3: is for a tad bit selfish reasons, though. Hmm? Maybe, you, Chris? Hmm?
5: maybe. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Why?
3: Yeah.
6: Well, if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 53 of Bruce City Gamers, uh, Silly Bitchel, uh, then do so. It's a great episode. Uh, The boys from Milwaukee, of course, talk video games and wargaming, but then they get into this great discussion that yours truly happened to just like cajole them into having via a a creative and poorly worded um, email with plenty of vulgarity in it. so they talk about the the creation of a brand new RPG system. If they had their druthers, what would they do? And uh, it was a it was a pretty good discussion. So huh, yeah, and the
5: truth yeah. comes out. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh.
3: See see what I'm saying?
6: I know. Yeah. So yeah. whatever. I'm a media whore. Sorry.
5: Sorry. Right. <laughs> Take right.
6: a listen, Gamer Nation. It's fun. It's funny, and it's worth your time.
5: There you go. All right. So if you want to listen to this podcast or any of the other twenty. 19, sorry. We're, we're about to add 20, and then I just got an email for number 21. No, 21 Yay. and 22. I, I lose count.
3: 22, whoever is podcast 22, deserves a kiss from TG. Double I'm deuce. just saying, it's my lucky number. It's got to be a good podcast.
5: Really? Deuce, deuce. They
3: deserve some kind of reward, and I can't think of anything better, 22, frankly.
5: 22, double deuce, 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 44 divided by deuce.
6: She always bets on it on the roulette, and she usually wins. And what? You were born at like 1222 on the 22nd, and you mm-hmm. were like 22 20 inches, long. inches long. Yeah,
3: Emmett Smith's number was 22 in the fifth grade. My computer box number was 22. <sighs> you got to stop me.
5: Okay. So d 20 com slash forum. Check them all out. Every show has a forum. And yeah. So yeah, exactly.
1: So
3: there. <laughs> You know they should make a new gaming system where you roll a D22. I would always win. Noted. All right. Do moving it. on.
6: <laughs> bumpers, guys. We want them. Uh, if you heard off the top of the show, uh, obviously people are sending in bumpers. Episode 100, our 100th episode extravaganza is a coming. Our next episode. And you guys should walk. Don't run. Walk to the nearest phone or computer and enshrine your name in the history of D20 Radio with a bumper for the Order 66 podcast's 100th episode. And Dave, how might they go about doing
5: this? Uh, Email would be preferable if you can record your own spot. Send it to gmdave at d20radio.com or you can call the loser line. Area code 206-600-5872 that would be L U S A oh, oh. or L-U-S-A, for all of you great unwashed and we would love to have bumpers coming out of our arses for episode 100 obviously so
6: yes yes there are no no there is not too many so
5: never too many never
6: too many never too many sentiment sentiment
5: so there you are yes big news guys
3: <laughs> so D twenty two radio is gathering.
5: No. Cut her off. Shit. I mean,
3: <laughs> Cut me off.
5: Yeah. Take her off the shelf. I'd, I mean, that's blasphemy. I'm just saying, that is I have that better luck if that it's That is D22. blasphemy. Blasphemy. We're, we blasphemy. are having good luck. And me. if you
6: if you let Dave introduce this fine announcement, it wouldn't be a problem.
5: Well, I wasn't I wasn't introducing it. I was I was just kind of laying it off. I was just kind of putting it on the tee to let you knock it out of the park, and then she had to go and blaspheme. Oh. Okay. <laughs>
6: So I gotta give big props to GM Brev for starting this. Um, GM Brev and GM Dave, you both, you guys, you cohorts really kind of took took this and ran with it. And Brev got in touch with a local uh, gaming store owner here in Plano, Texas, and we are proud to announce the first of many D20 radio gatherings in the DFW area. If you guys are around here, the very first one is going to be April 17th. I know it's short notice, guys, but if you're in the DFW area, you have got to come out Saturday, April 17th, at around 3 p.m. Uh, until the cows come home, pretty much. Uh, hosts from the order 66 podcast radio free Hamlet, minis mayhem and game on will all be on hand at the new location for madness comics and games in plano texas uh for just a totally awesome evening of fun gaming and d20 radio goodness and i mean uh rfh crew is going to run some 4e i'm going to run some saga uh brev is going to facilitate some minis play and cat is going to run a one shot of paranoia uh <laughs>
3: I'll run some board games, too.
6: You? That's right. You were going to run a board game. That's right. Um, what are you running? So,
3: I don't know. I'll see what, every, what people who are not playing with everyone else. We'll right.
6: bring our bag of board games. Plus, I'm sure the Chris, the wonderful owner of Madness, would probably give us one of the store copies to run something if he really, really asked nicely because he's been so generous to this point. <sighs> Maybe probably. so. I want
5: to play Ticket to Ride.
6: Done. Woohoo! I'm there. I'll blow off my session just to do it. Yeah. (laughs) So if you guys are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or nearby and you would like to come out April 17th to Madness Comics and Games, we will be there. And uh, this is going to be a pretty regular thing, guys. We're going to try and shoot for this uh, hopefully monthly. So we will have an updated schedule coming out shortly. Keep your eyes on the forums and uh, come by and meet some of uh, our unwashed selves in person.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So speaking I'm gonna of, be washed. I don't know about you, but moving
5: on. Yeah, I'll be I'll probably be washed too, but maybe. Maybe. Just
3: I don't guarantee Chris.
5: No. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. So, so you know we have
3: some kind of goodness, right? We got lots
5: of juicy goodness. bits of web goodness because you know, absolutely, you know, after all, Wizards has so much stuff that they have not put out there and they only have like a month and a half to get it out there, so here it comes. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Uh, Well, uh, new Saga content is all over the place, man. Um, It doesn't seem to stop at the Wizards' website. Another stat pack by the inestimable Sterling Hershey uh, has given us even more Saga NPCs ready for use, complete with minis that epitomize the look, Bothan Commandos, Vong, Priests, and Shapers, Rebel Pathfinders, Peace Brigade Thugs, and many, many more are all there, ready to be downloaded for free. Um, that stat pack, by the way, Dave. I apologize. Actually, came out the week of our last podcast, um, but I am a total chump and I forgot to announce it last week. So,
5: I'm sorry. Chump. Chump. Game chump. Creation. Chump. Chump.
6: I'm a. I'm a chump.
5: It's all right, man. But,
6: but dude, that's not all. Uh, because again, just in the past couple of weeks, uh, Wattsy and Sterling Hershey have given us even more point blank. A brand new encounter where these these clone units battle these separatists in this wicked encounter that is the first the official published encounter with both battlefield and mass combat rules. Um, It's wonderfully written. It's versatile. It's adjustable to nearly any time period. It's just a great encounter set. And also for the minis players out there, there is a point blank minis scenario, which is also available. Um, But wait,
5: there's more!
3: Holy crap
6: holy crap um i never expected this to come from Watson, and i'm very glad it did um another series of web updates which is now in our clutches and it makes the star wars writers and heroic storytellers and us all just just drool the mighty matthew growl returns to give us chapter one and chapter two of a new article series, Myth Making in Star Wars. Uh, chapter one and chapter two are The Hero and Archetypes. And basically, these are the, the first in a series of articles that highlight Joseph Campbell's monomyth concept, which George Lucas used extensively in crafting the feel of his films. And it discusses bringing monomyth elements into your Star Wars role playing games. Cool. Dude. <sighs> watsy, 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 Matthew. You guys are after my freaking soul. Come on. Admit it. Yeah bastards. They, I already love
5: got, they already got your soul. <sighs>
3: they do.
6: They do have my soul. I know.
3: I am <sighs> a <very good> body.
6: I'm going to put that <laughs> on my tombstone. Uh, well, to like goodness, where might one find all these amazing web updates?
3: d22radio.com
6: That would be incorrect. Thank, thank you for playing. You may try again. Dave, where can we find all these updates for two points and the steal?
5: DG is going to hell.com
6: Oh. No! oh, you're wrong. <laughs> and the winner is TG, and you win a fabulous vacation Yay! package to www.wizards.com/slash Star Wars. Yes,
5: that's Woo-hoo! what your wife said,
3: back. Now I need a kiss from the host.
6: Oh, God. Okay.
5: Moving on.
1: Moving Dave, on. Dave, I think
6: there's some interesting news yeah. also coming from You know, Watsi.
5: Yes. You know, yeah. They're they're apparently they're going forward with a new street date policy that is well rather surprising. So the available street date for different products will differ depending on the distributor. So your core stores parenthetically. So your your F L G S who've been pimping Watsi since the beginning will be giving an earlier street date. Than online retailers or mega bookstores. Mm. Some people say, as much as ten days earlier. So is this a little love for That's the little guy, or what? Uh, this
6: is kind of crazy? I mean, because you know, like distributors like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I mean, those guys have some major pull in the publishing world. And for for Watsy to come out there publicly and say, "Oh yeah, if you buy your book at a friendly local gaming store at an FLGS, one of our core stores, you can okay. get it ten days earlier."
3: You know, I bet. With Amazon and the online retailers, they, they're, Amazon's buying their stock in bulk, so they're actually selling. Watsi selling their stock to, to Amazon for cheaper than what they're selling it to the FLGS.
5: Maybe probably
3: most most likely. So they they probably make more profit if you purchase from FLGS.
5: Right. Probably.
6: It's my guess, but
3: yeah. I'd rather say that Watsy has a has a really big soul, and they're doing it for the little guy. It's fun.
6: It's more fun to say that. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
5: but who knows? We'll, we'll see. We'll see what the ramifications there are. So, yeah. Conventions, dude.
6: Oh, lay it on me, bro.
5: All right.
3: So we need hey, a bumper for conventions at this point. I mean, it's every week.
5: Well, yeah. Dave, well, get on I mean, it. you know, because we've got two or three of the same ones. <laughs> And they're not till May or June or August. We always uh, just pimp them out. Anyway, ReaperCon, we will be there <laughs> in Denton, Texas, May twenty to twenty-three. Some of the gamer nation we've heard are coming in from as far away as points north, like Oklahoma.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh man!
5: Yes.
6: No, hello, that's the Trotter.
5: Big time! Yep. Anyway, so RFH will be there as well. Order 66 will be there. We will all be running games. TG will be painting and uh-huh. find out a whole lot more at reapermini.com. Then we have Origins 2010, which is June 23rd to 27th. Columbus, Ohio. Vader's son, which is name is Duncan, will be running four games of Saga, which is consisting of Death of the Star of Agnor, Murder on the Executor, and Requiem for the Star of Agnor. Find out more at OriginsGames.com.
3: Gen Con 2010. Woohoo! Yes, August 5th through 8th in good old Indy. So you can already purchase your badge and do room registrations. So go to G-E-N-C-O-N.com, Gen Con. And remember the Gygax Memorial Auction. Yep. Don't forget it, or we're going to hunt you down. Just saying.
5: And for those of you who have not been following my tweets... Or my Facebook. Yes, it's true. My wife booked us a vacation starting August the 7th in some Uh, uh, fucking... You
3: just got back from vacation.
5: A a, a weekend. I mean, we spent a long weekend in San Antonio. That's not a vacation. This is a a week on some freaking little beach where there's absolutely nothing to do but just sit on the beach.
3: Poor thing. They call
5: that
6: just it, Baby, sucks. Dice.
5: They call it Dolphin Island.
6: Oh, maybe you can take your
5: dice. Alabama. Oh, hell no. Because it's it's like, I don't know, it's like a couple other couples that are going and we're taking our kids and...
6: Start a pickup game, man. Get the kids involved. You know, just saying. Yeah, okay.
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay,
6: lighter guys, news. We had
3: a contest, right? We've got a contest. Yes, going. it's
5: over, dude. We got seventeen entries, man. It's amazing.
3: Wow, that is
6: awesome. So the the design and encounter contest for uh, in conjunction with Maps of Mastery, Chris West, uh, is done. And dude, I mean, I know I, I got my email. I know the judging uh, uh, requirements and all the the modules went out. Um, when are we gonna have an answer for the Gamer Nation?
5: Hopefully, we will have an answer. On episode 100,
1: <gasps> Oh
5: we had, a, we had a little bit of an issue where some of the guys couldn't open up the newest Doc X files, you know, with the word 2007. Uh. So I had to convert them to older versions so that they could all read them. But the judges all have the all the entries, and we've uh, weeded out three that absolutely suck already. And uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. No, we, we have begun. Reading through, I've read all of them, as a matter of fact, and I already have my leader in the clubhouse. So we're I'm waiting. About, I'm about
6: halfway way. through, and I'm reserving judgment until I've read everything.
5: Ah, uh, yes, indeed. So actually,
6: no, I'm I'm scoring as I go. I'm following the judging methods. It's just yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, exactly. So, so. we'll have something out by episode one hundred, and it'll be good.
1: Hmm.
2: This is a Holonet News Consumer Safety Notification. I'm Luke Lowbrow, reporting from Coruscant. The Rendilli Star Drive Corporation has issued a recall of every hyperdrive-capable StarCraft they have ever produced. Apparently, owners of Rundilli's ships have reported that their hyperdrives have consistently failed to disengage at the designated coordinates. This has created conditions where vessels have collided with stars, novas, asteroids, or planets, leaving Rendili customers very annoyed or very dead. In some cases, the ships go hurtling out into deep space, presumably beyond the frontiers of the known galaxy. The recall has sparked an old heated debate in the scientific community about the existence of a dark matter barrier at the borders of the galaxy preventing hyperspace travel. While critics of that theory hold that those scientists have watched Star Trek V one too many times. It has taken Rendilli months to admit this flaw in their hyperdrives. They originally claimed that the pilot's foot pedals were trapped underneath floor mats. Then, consumer advocates pointed out that hyperdrives don't even have foot pedals. Rendilli then claimed that all R-Series Astromech droids are maliciously conspiring against Rendilli because the factory-installed onboard computers on the Rendilli ships were programmed to use a double entendre when referring to the R-unit's cylindrical computer interface mechanism. This week, an Imperial Senate panel will investigate Randilli Stardrive's poor history of ship safety, dating back to the loss of over 200 dreadnought cruisers that comprise the fabled lost Katana fleet. Randilli executives have been quick to point out that the ships in the Katana fleet did in fact set sail with lots and lots of floor mats, and anything on those ships could have gotten stuck underneath them. This has been a Holonet News consumer safety notification. Good night, and be sure to vacuum your floor mats.
5: Genius. There he goes, being all timely again. Well <laughs> done, Dan. Awesome.
3: Awesome.
5: Well done.
6: It's
3: Luke. Who are you calling, Dan? It's Luke Lobrow.
6: Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, you know, it's Dude. a it, it's it's a nickname. That's all.
3: Ooh. Okay, I'm not going to ask why you have a nickname. With
6: well, you know, co- college days. It's not important. It's not. Important. So did so you thanks. did you bobbleheads yes. get a yes. postcard?
3: Yes, yes, I did. Thank you very much. So, there. It's um, it's a very pretty postcard, Dave. Chris isn't going to care. We had a big fight about it the other night. Yeah, I'm not uh, even listening. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you about it, Dave. He's not even the listening. picture on the postcard is of a green world that's covered in jungle and forested mountains that orbits a binary star system. It's so pretty. Two moons also orbit the world. And the wording on the postcard reads, Welcome to Kularin, visitor. The Irstat clans welcome you.
5: From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody.
7: TGM Dave and TG. Hi, guys. Sorry, it's been a couple of weeks since my last transmission. But I've been a bit busy. After rest and recuperation on Aquaris, the Alliance gathered me to help with the installation of a new Rebel base. We've suffered so much in the last year, with base after base compromised. But the Alliance has found a sympathetic world with some unusual characteristics that should help us in our fight. The planet Kularin is in the Expansion region, near the Corellian Trade Spine. A lush jungle world, covered in rainforests and green mountainous regions, Kularin has had an interesting history in the past few decades. The native Terracin species, reptilian humanoids with colour shifting skin, are supposed to be very strong in the force. <laughs> now. You know I don't put much stock in those things, but long ago, the once strong Jedi Order established a remote temple here, and similar to other Rebel bases, we began retrofitting it for our own uses. The work has been hard, with a great deal of construction and logistics, but a fair number of non-terrorists live here, mostly in two large city settlements, Gadrin and Hadret. During the war, the Empire was harsh with this world, and we have many allies among the inhabitants. At first, I was very concerned about building a base so close to Imperial-traveled routes, and I expressed that concern to my commander, but he simply smiled and told me the Alliance had a way to deal with it. I've been unable to figure out how, but I think it might be related to something else that happened during the war. Shortly after the Battle of Naboo, this entire system completely disappeared from the face of the galaxy, only to reappear ten years later. No one is sure how this happened, but my gut tells me the Alliance brass has worked this out, and if so, it could be the greatest defensive system we've ever had. The base itself is brilliant, complete with fighter bays, machine shops, and barracks for thousands of personnel. As we near completion, I'm proud of the work the Alliance has done here, and this could be a crucial point in our fight against the evil of the Empire. We're set to greenlight a fully operational state tomorrow morning, with all the pre-checks we've still got to do, I'll best be off. Wish us luck in the coming months, my friends as the Alliance is about to have a new place to stand in this great fight. And, hey, if you're in the expansion, regions and looking to traipse through some thick jungle, or view some exotic wildlife, head to the Kularan system, uh, if it's there. Long live the Rebellion, your secret correspondent, Commander Cody.
6: You think this dingus would stop broadcasting where he's at? Yeah. I'm just saying, your boy ain't too bright, T.G.
5: Wow, I'm not
3: talking to you about this.
5: Wow, how the how the how the we
3: agree to disagree.
5: How the roles have reversed.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Just saying.
7: D20 Docking Bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
5: Well, okay, D20 Radio listener people, Order 66 podcast people. Time for the D20 Docking Bay where we read your questions. What's your question? Send in to us by email, by phone, by forum post, by Carrier Pigeon, or by owl if you live at Hogwarts. Yeah.
3: Wrong podcast, day.
5: Hey, my friend Sirius Black says, hello. Just wanted to say I was also invited into the Order of the Phoenix. So, that being said. An incredulous Ed Hart 1963 asks us, okay, is Heavy Weapons... Do grenade launchers really have a point-blank range of up to 50 squares like an E-Web repeating blaster? Seems kind of absurd to me, or am I missing some errata somewhere? Well, welcome to the absurdity, absurdity sir, you've got it right.
6: Absolutely.
5: All right, moving uh, on. GM of the land down under.
6: I think there's a point to talk about here.
5: Oh, okay.
6: Well, no. Listen. I mean, seriously, guys. What's this? Is like the only real point of even having a grenade launcher is to get range. That's
5: it. Yeah, like to throw things like really far. That's like an RPG. You know, it, 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 it is. Grenades are terribly grenade. short range. Yeah, you can I mean, only throw it so far.
6: Yeah, and and they're they're inaccurate. Now this piece of equipment fixes that. For those following along, grenade launchers, page one twenty nine, core rulebook. They're heavy weapons, and per the range table, also on page one twenty nine, they do have a point blank range of fifty squares, and. Edhart in in real life I use I use that in quotations in real life grenade launchers are extremely accurate ask any military personnel trained in their use okay they're extremely accurate and they go a very long ways Um, It's important to note though in terms of this game, grenade launchers are are not easy to get a hold of, and that's a good check and balance. It might be inexpensive initially, it's like only a few hundred credits, but then again the ammo sure isn't. Um, But it is a military grade piece of equipment, that's not easy to procure a license for. I mean even the WOTC sanctioned Dawn of Defiance game does not allow players to purchase but a, a single piece of military grade gear, a heavy blaster pistol when they start the game, that's it. Um, now, could you get it illegally? Sure. But that opens up a whole slew of fun options for you, the GM, to uh, mess with your players now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So
3: you're saying the balance for the fact that 50 squares is um, short range is that it's difficult to get a hold of. So the balance is in the role playing aspect of it.
6: Yes, absolutely. And and it, once again, as far as this system, I mean, there's so much of things are balanced through the role-playing aspects, but for Pete's sake, if you walk around with a grenade launcher, <laughs>
5: yeah, I mean, you just because you're walking around with it is grounds to be attacked.
6: I mean, my god, any law enforcement agency would immediately, do you have a license for that? And even if you do have a license for it, you there could very well be laws saying, yeah, I'm sorry, you really can't carry that around. Um so, yeah, there you go. But Put no. that
5: thing away before you get us all killed. I pretty seem have heard that somewhere.
6: Yes, pretty much.
5: All right. So, can I move on now? Yes, please. Okay, GM of the Land Down Under has a question. About the Indomitable Talent. Yes, Solora has that. So, he says, the Indomitable Talent that a player of mine is going to take might sound like a stupid question, but... Can they use this ability once per day to go plus five up the condition track? Can they do that while unconscious? Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no. uh huh. Tg,
6: what, what do you what do you think? Can you use this while unconscious?
5: T- I t- Say, I think she's answering by doing that right there because while you're unconscious um can <laughs> can, you, yeah can you draw your lightsaber while you're unconscious
6: why no you're unconscious
5: well there you go you
1: got But it, you
3: indomitable g- doesn't it just mean that you've got you're stronger i mean no. that's the the indomitable means that you're harder to kill right no it just means i'm tougher well you So get it's to just my in the, it's just my nature i learn how to be tougher no well,
5: yeah but you get to move up the condition track but you have to use a swift action to activate it
6: that's correct
3: Ah, see so you had to use a swift action. If right. it was a free action, I'd say yes. But you had to use a swift, so
5: Right. So if it was, if it
6: was a free action, point. I'd say no because well, per page 147 core rule book, while unconscious, you cannot take any actions.
5: There at you all. Go. There you go. See? While you're lying there mostly dead, you can't even mostly do. Mostly dead. He's
3: well, then why do you why do you roll? Uh, what is it? After, like, five rounds, you make a roll to see if you...
6: One if minute. You, that's just that's just to see if you die or <laughs> wake up.
3: Right. Well, that's an action. i want it dice.
6: <laughs> no, it doesn't specify that it's an action. But, no, okay. I mean, nah, seriously. I mean, listen, if you... Listen, GM, if you want your player to be able to use Indomitable while they're unconscious, it's really your call. Raw, no, they can't. Um, just because, again, what the rules say. Um... You know, I don't think it's too, too terribly game-breaking to allow it. Also, if you really wanted to check and balance it and create a feat um, maybe called um, you know, or, or, or excuse me, not a feat, but another talent. Uh, maybe like improved Indomitable, which has Indomitable as a prerequisite and says, oh yeah, now if you have Indomitable, you can use it while you're unconscious. That might not be a bad idea. But just a thought. But raw, no, you cannot do it.
5: Great. I would so. tend to agree with that. Okay, so -er, Miker. Miker or is it Mike R? Or is it Miker? No, it's not Miker. Well, it might be. But I'm gonna guess it's I'm gonna guess it's Miker. The Micer. L Micer. Hmm. Okay. As smoke bellows from Chris's orifice. Ah smoking my pipe. Ah yes. Out of the pie hole comes smoke. I recently took over a GMing a campaign, Miker says, and have been confronted with a question regarding attacks of opportunity. One of the players has just taken some dual weapon talents and asked me if while standing adjacent to an NPC and holding a single lightsaber she can take out a second saber without provoking an attack of opportunity. Hmm. Well, my initial response was yes, but given that the rules for attacks of opportunities are somewhat vague in places, I was wondering what you thought. It's pretty clear I think you had it right, so go ahead.
6: Yeah. Now, well, this is an interesting question, because for a lot of players that were weaned on 3rd Edition D&D or the last version of Star Wars, the RCR um, or OCR, um, drawing a weapon did provoke an attack of opportunity.
5: Yeah, back um, in the day.
6: But hey, Saga does not. Aha. Turn to page 156, Provoking Attack of Opportunities. Um, There's two bulleted lists that tell you what provokes, and it's a very short list. Moving out of a threatened square, making an unarmed attack without martial arts, aiming, loading a weapon, retrieving a stored item, moving into an enemy's square, and using a skill that distracts you. Um, That's pretty simple. Drawing a weapon, not on that list. But, and here's the big but, and I always have a big but, Um, it is important, I think, to differentiate the difference between drawing a weapon and retrieving a weapon. Because retrieving an item does provoke.
5: I reach into my bag to pull out a second lightsaber. Ah! Attack.
6: The attack opportunity. Now, to me, and most GMs that I game with, drawing a weapon means pulling it from an actual holster. Okay, you don't need to look for the item or find it. That's the point of having a holster, Okay, So in short, if the weapon is in a holster, I rule that it can be drawn without provoking an AOO. If it is not in a holster, and it's not in your hands, it must be retrieved. Where is the weapon if it's not in a holster? Well, somewhere. You have to fiddle with it to get it out, okay? And pulling a weapon out in one of those situations means pausing to distraction to unclip something or look for something, and that should provoke an AOO. But guys, TG, Dave, what about lightsabers? This is a lightsaber. I mean, seriously, you ever see a lightsaber holstered? Nope. No, they're... They're always clipped to a belt, right?
1: Mm. Well,
6: that's
5: so, what a holster is, kind of.
6: Ah. And there you, I think, sir, you hit the nail on the head because a holster is a pretty vague object. Page 140 of the Core book. It is, I mean, there it says it's a sheath, a baldric, or a strap. Okay, for a lightsaber, this would be like a quick-release strap or a quick-release hook used to secure it to the belt. Most people don't really pause to consider that, but I think a holster for a lightsaber is essential to drawing it as opposed to retrieving it. Now, Micr, I no, I I, I want to know what you guys think too. But I I think he made the right decision in his call. I, I doubt his player has a holster for their saber. Okay, but I think the intent of the rules shouldn't provoke an AOO for that. I mean, sabers are open; they're sitting in easy access. They're meant to be drawn. Okay, if she actually pulled it from a pack or a pocket, that would be different. Um, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys think he made the right call?
3: Yeah, I can't see it unbalancing the game by allowing her to do that.
5: Yeah, I think he's fine. Yeah.
6: Micro, if it worries you, and you want the check and balance on player shenanigans, then consider enforcing the holster rule for lightsabers.
5: Right. Bada-bing. Or have her fight Darth Maul and take away his double-bladed lightsaber. Ah, yes. Okay. So, uh, Master Silverback, King of the Apes, has a uh, tricky question. <laughs> In his Dawn of Defiance campaign, one party member is an Athorian Jedi who prefers to use bellows, uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, he didn't say that, avoid (laughs) violence whenever he can, even more than the usual Jedi, that is. And the player is role-playing this very well. Pussy! Good good for him, it's hard to do. uh, Often using mind trick to defuse what would ordinarily be a fight. That's actually pretty good. That's where the problem comes in. Twice now, he's mind-tricked Imperial officers To convince them, the party was allowed to be somewhere they clearly shouldn't be. Hmm. In the first case, he got in an argument with the officer after tricking him. Hmm. Don't ask, he says. And in the second case, the officer's men knew that only imperial troops were allowed in the building, so they immediately raised objection. But sir, but, but Bob, but Bob... In both cases, I ruled that there was some chance the officer would wake up and realize something wasn't right. And in both cases, eventually a firefight broke out. I found a dev ruling by Rodney himself, but it mainly related to using power in combat, i.e., around uh, after. uh, Let's see, after around the officer would wake up and notice that his men were shooting it out with the Jedi's buddies. But what about a non-combat situation? Can the effect of mind trick be broken, and if so, how should it be handled? Your advice. Will be much appreciated, and I've got a pretty strong opinion on this. Go ahead.
6: No, no, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know you guys' opinion. I mean, I mean, I mean, TG, what, what, do you think? I mean, mind trick is pretty, pretty wild, and you guys have done almost zero mind trick abuse when I've played with you, which has been refreshing. But um, I've had players abuse it in the past. What are your thoughts, TG?
3: Well, it sounds like what Rodney is saying is in combat, uh, mind trick only works for a round. So I think. Out of combat, it should only work for six seconds, right?
6: Well, the rules would disagree with you in terms of how long it works. Um,
3: but I mean, but, but, in but combat guess, versus out of combat. Well,
6: my question is: can it know? be can it be broken? I mean, are there are, are are there things that can happen? So, if you say, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for, and then you you move along, when is that guy going to um? I mean, is is there something that can break him out of that? Because per the wording of the power um, on page 98 of the core rulebook, when you use Mind Trick to make that unpalatable suggestion seem reasonable, the target will not, quote-unquote, wake up under normal means. It won't happen. This says they will later not realize that what they did was unacceptable. Um, what does per- Dave
3: think about it?
5: What I do think, do in, think this, it? in this particular case, you've got... I would think that the DC he had to make should have been so substantial that it would have almost been impossible to make the check. Because you're mind-tricking an Imperial officer, and then you're going into a place where you know you shouldn't be. Are you going to mind-trick everyone in the room? No. They should have gotten their asses handed to him immediately upon walking in. So...
6: That's pretty much – I think I think. I agree with you, and TG, to your point about Rodney's ruling, because you made a good point. You know what? If they go in where they're not supposed to be, and Imperials see them and go, ah, blast them, and they start shooting, the officer's going to snap out of it within a round. Okay, there's no, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Hey, you're not supposed to be here. You know, bada boom. But I, I think it's situational. I mean, like, okay, guys, think back to episode four. When the famous scene with Luke and the droids and Obi Wan, you know, you don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. He can go about his business. Um, Obi Wan didn't mind trick every single stormtrooper in that group. Who did he mind trick?
3: The leader. The yeah, just ca- the captain. Oh. Yeah. yeah, correct,
6: the captain. And at that po- at that particular point in time, it's not like they were somewhere they weren't supposed to be. Nobody was going to raise an eyebrow. He mind tricked a single individual who told his two peons, "Yeah, you don't need to see their identification." You know, these aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along. And what are they, they going to do? Question their officer? Oh, captain, I really don't know about. Bang! You know, oh, you're dead. You, know, you just questioned your superior officer. I mean, that's stormtrooper in the field, basically. But uh, you know, silence, private. Don't question orders. Um, but I, I think it's situational. I think he's running it right. I think if a peon, for whatever reason, says, "Uh, sir," uh, you know, "I'm sorry, but are they supposed to be here?" It should be able. It, it should make him reconsider. I think. Okay. So, I, I don't know. I think he ruled correctly. I think he's been ruling correctly.
5: Yeah, that's fine. so. Okay.
6: Sure. That's my opinion on it. Mind trick is not the I win button of non-combat encounters.
5: No, period. not at all. So. Okay, so before we get into the meat of the show, unless we have something further to discuss, uh-uh. I'd like to stop down for fragments from the rim. Alex and Trevor. Extravaganza who uh, have just put together a very nice index of all their segments, which is now numbering 45. Mm. Yes, indeed. I'm telling you, man. These guys have been busy over the course of the last who knows how long. And you guys will be able to find that on our website here, I don't know, in the next week or so after I get back from uh, my trip. But to get started... Here's
4: Alex and Trevor. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you
0: today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment number 45 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about the feat Dive for Cover, which you will find on page 23 of Galaxy at War. It has a prerequisite of being trained in Jump, for obvious reasons. It says... Once per turn, as a reaction, to being targeted by a ranged attack, you can make a jump check to jump horizontally. If you land in a square that provides you with cover from your attacker, you gain the normal cover bonus against the attack, even if you didn't have cover at the time the attack was made. When you use this feat, you always land prone. This is rather useful if you need to get out in the open, perform an action, maybe you're going to heal an injured uh, party member... You're going to perform an action at a computer console, or whatever it is you might need to do, and you're going to be in the open and get shot at. You will then gain the benefit of being in cover. The other thing to keep in mind is that if you start your character in cover and you remain in cover, there's a good chance your opposition may use the aim ability to negate your cover. But if you think about it, if your character is standing out in the open, your opposition isn't going to take the time to aim because they don't think you're in cover and so you should then be able to gain that plus 5 bonus to your defense, which is nothing to sneer at. Over to you, Trevor.
4: Today, I'm going to talk to you about the squad actions talent from the squad leader talent tree on page 26 of the Clone Wars Campaign Guide. Essentially, if you have the prerequisite of commanding officer, which means that you have one or more followers under your command, you can use any of the following actions once per encounter. The first one is called Autofire Barrage. As a standard action, you can make an auto fire attack against legal target spaces. For each of the followers who is armed with a ranged weapon set on auto fire and has line of sight to the area targeted by your autofire, you can designate one additional square as targeted by your autofire. That square must be adjacent to the original target area. This is a neat concept of laying down covering fire, ...that you see in the movies where you get a whole bunch of guys shooting into the same spot and, and getting cumulative effects and damage. Second possibility is open fire. As a standard action, make a ranged attack against a single target. For each of the followers who is armed with a ranged weapon and has line of sight, you add two to your damage roll on a successful hit. Well, that's, that's a nice little way of showing multiple targets shooting at the same thing and getting extra points of damage. The third option is called painted target. As a standard action, make a ranged attack against a single target. You gain a competence bonus on your attack roll equal to the number of followers who are armed with a ranged weapon and have line of sight. Thus, if you have three armed followers with line of sight, you gain a plus three competence bonus on your attack rolls. If you have one, you obviously get a plus one. These are basically neat ideas for squad tactics or uh, a campaign set where there's a military concept in mind. Or if anybody wants to have a follower. Not everybody necessarily wants to have a droid. Well, you can have a follower, or more than one follower. And you could use these kind of neat soldier talents to make that follower more than just somebody who carries equipment and and has other minor functions. You can make them an integral part of, of the success or failure in combat. I like the idea of the followers in the Clone Wars campaign guide, and I like how they've made them not broke-tastic. I found that followers in previous editions of the game, such as 3.x d d were either really hard to manage, because you didn't know what they could or couldn't do, or that they were treated like a, an extra member of the party, but more as a functional member, as opposed to a role-playing member. And Or, if you wanted to give it the role-playing element, you ended up giving, you know, the, the DM had to work, you know, do a lot more work for that. I think that This is a nice balance that makes the player have to make some use of it, and they can't just have a whole extra set of attacks. They have to choose how their squad is best used or who in their squad is best used. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66-fragments at rogers.com, and until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Ring
5: very nice thank you gentlemen very nice you do good work maybe
6: always enjoy that
5: of course so um well without further ado
1: okay Mm, alright
5: chat room I was just kidding about that by the way I just decided to be
3: a jerk yeah (laughs) exactly
5: (laughs) there and there I I deleted one of Kat's posts that she was talking about D22 radio getting product placement sponsors because you're drinking Dr. Pepper and I'm drinking uh, Powerade (laughs) and having Cheez-Its here on the uh,
7: Cheez-Its (laughs) Cheez-Its (laughs)
5: Cheez-Its
6: So, okay, welcome to the meet, guys. A lot of you may be scratching your heads going, wait, 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 wait. I didn't hear Watto. I didn't hear suspending the rules. No, you did not. Because in the interest of time, we have an extended meet, so we kind of wanted to get into it.
5: Yes, I have an extended meet. I don't know about you.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it depends on TG's mood, actually. Um, But, um, uh, okay, a skillful challenge, folks. So... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, speaking of extended meat and skillful challenges, um, the, the recently released Galaxy of Intrigue presented Saga players everywhere with a brand new mechanic, something some of us have used for quite some time, something originally introduced with varying degrees of success, no pun intended, in the fourth edition D&D game, The Skill Challenge. A codified way,
5: huh? I said yes!
6: Yes! Yes. And it, it, seriously, it's, it's just a simple codified way for Game Masters to create a complex, challenging, and most importantly, XP-awarding encounter where the only roles the players make are skill checks. Yes. Um... You know, providing the ability to turn, uh, to, to, you know, uh, to do, repair a ship or, or negotiate a settlement, um, you know, turning those things into full-fledged encounters that every PC, every PC could meaningfully contribute to, um, can be a very fun way to allow players to think cinematically and play to their strengths and be creatively diverse. Or to be able to uh, dance. Or to be able to dance. <laughs> but, uh, but many players and GMs, dum-dum-dum, have expressed reservations about the skill challenge system yeah. and have, have asked us us yes you um, at the order 66 podcast on numerous occasions I might add to plumb the depths of the skill challenge to break it down to build it ourselves and to give our own insight into how it works
5: all right let's plumb those depths TG let me look at your pipes
6: extended meat
3: you <laughs> you're gonna let him dude if that's so the show look at my pipes
6: you know that's so the show title extended meat
5: <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> are looking at TG's pipes. That's not a good one. No, so,
6: probably yes. So, Okay, meat. guys. Y- you have asked us to do this, so okay, we're going to do it. Okay? We're going to call okay. upon our own successful okay. and not okay. so successful skill challenges uh, to help you get your learn on. So grab your Galaxy of Intrigue books, Gammer Nation. Goy. Turn, turn to page 31 and prepare to get skillified. Is that a word?
3: Um, in, Tiger's, sure.
5: in Tiger's word. Maybe not.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Skidified. Okay. So.
3: We can we can we can have you roll to a knowledge bureaucracy to identify whether or not you could actually use that word. I don't oh, know.
6: Oh, thank you. Uh huh.
5: <laughs> knowledge dictionary.
6: I used to be trained in that, but then I had a retraining. So go ahead. Let me out. let me roll real
5: quick. Oh, that sucked. Only a twelve.
6: Okay. Oh, see. So there you go. So okay. Dave, DJ, let's, let's start with the boilerplate. Um, before we talk about creating and using skill challenges, we at D20 Radio and the Order 66 Podcast feel it is important to talk about a few ground rules. Now, the skill challenge chapter does go over these, um, but it's important to reiterate them now and consider each and every one of them before you even begin to think about creating a skill challenge. Um, Dave, what is our first boilerplate rule that you must consider when creating a skill challenge? Bar none. Skill challenges are no
5: substitute for role playing. Period. Um, End of story. No discussion necessary. Why am I talking like a nineteen twenties reporter? I don't know. Okay.
6: I, I really, I really don't know.
5: All right. So anyway, I
3: can treat injury check to find out right. if he's insane in the brain.
5: So we're not wargaming here, guys. You know, this is role playing, as in R O L E, not R O L L. So, all the skill challenge really does is to pervade a framework to measure skill success and failure, to award XP for said non-combat encounter, and this does not mean that your players should not use the same dialogue and interactions that they always have. Mm-hmm. There you go, TG. Uh, speaking as someone
6: who's been through some some not so great skill challenges, um. Yeah. Would you would you would you mind covering the next point in the boilerplate for us because I believe it is extremely important.
3: Not every single skill is useful, but most can be. The worst thing you can do in a skill challenge is restrict how players can do it. Restricting how people do it in general is not a good idea. Ha ha ha. Okay, not so funny. No, they, not really. They may suggest an off-the-wall skill you never even considered. And though you may not rule it relevant, it should be able to provide some kind of benefit. So you must come at every skill suggestion with the attitude of how can I make this work instead of that won't work because it's not on my list.
5: Yeah, don't be a no. Don't be a no man. Be a yes man, GM person.
6: There you go. Right. And the third point of the boilerplate that I is one of my most important things... Risk must be present, Mm -hmm. but not fatal risk. Um, A skill challenge should never be used for a mundane thing. Ever. Ever. Only for a tense cinematic scene with real consequences for failure. Now, the problem here is, that guys, this can be a tough line to walk. Because, in my opinion, a skill challenge should never be directly fatal or prevent the movement of the story. Failure should create story complications. This is an important point, and it's something I... I seriously disagree with the book's advice on, okay? In practice and in play, I have never, ever found a satisfying or appropriate to see a PC death for failure at a skill challenge, okay? To me, in Star Wars, heroes don't die unless it's the point of a lightsaber or the the scorch of a blaster. That's it. If you watch the films, that's how people die. They don't die because they botch a mechanics role, Or, you know, people do all the time, but not heroes, okay? So, I think that's important to note, and uh, I I disagree with the book somewhat on that, so that's my soapbox. Boba Fett
5: died because he couldn't attempt his climb check.
6: Um, I would argue that Han knocked him, like, critical hit at him, basically. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I would argue. Destiny point. Han destiny pointed him. I mean, what? He's blind. He's got an improvised weapon. (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> and he didn't mean to make an attack. He just turned around with it.
6: Turn around, destiny point. Boom. Ah! So there you go. Okay. So there's the boilerplate. Um, right. Those things must be at the forefront of your mind always.
5: Okay. So when do I use a skill challenge, GM Chris? When? Please answer my question now. Don't wait for the translation.
6: Okay. Well, you, okay. So so you, you want to use a skill challenge? Where, when, and, and how? Um, a few things. A skill challenge should give framework to a tense scene or a cinematic moment that combat would not necessarily resolve. Now, as far as time frames, this could be a few minutes long, a few seconds long, several hours, or even several days. Think, I like to think of it cinematically as a montage.
0: A you know, montage!
6: It's like, gonna need a montage! Montage! So, yeah. That sounded basically. like
5: a really bad Transformers commercial from the 90s.
6: Actually, <laughs> I don't think you've yet seen Team America World Police Dave and you need to watch that because they have a they have a montage and the the South Park boys did all the music themselves and so they have this song for the montage. It's like,
3: you know, going to need a montage. Yeah, it's pretty When fun. you want to get things done really wow. fast and
6: you don't have a lot of time, you need a montage. You show right. scene after scene where you're gradually getting better at the thing you tried to do. Montage!
5: This left turn brought to you by Greg Biffle.
6: <laughs> Thank you. All right, so tense scene, cinematic moment, okay? One. Two, failure for this skill challenge should provide a severe complication to the story. Death! No.
3: That's that's like uber complicated. <laughs> that
6: <laughs> that's would, not complication, would. that's craptastic. That's a okay. severe. Oh. Three, uh, a situation where things will evolve as the heroes take actions. And four, a situation that cannot be resolved with a single skill check. Those four bits of criterion will determine when and where you can put a skill challenge into your session. So, okay, there you go. Um, So, okay, what are the ground rules for a skill challenge? Okay, if you're building a skill challenge from scratch, where do you start? Let's go over the basic rules. CL, uh, CL, TG. Yeah. Tell us about determining CL.
3: Um, well, I assume this is probably pretty important.
1: Yes.
6: And
3: <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't want you don't want a skill challenge to be uber hard for your second level characters. It needs to be fitting to them. So, um, from what I've read, it says that the methods you use for combat encounter determine appropriate. CL need to be used here. So, basically, a level like I was saying, a level 10 party might require a CL of 14 skill challenge.
6: If they want it to be challenging, yeah.
3: Right, and it's in the lovely book that everybody should be looking at right now, right? Galaxy of Intrigue, table two one on page 43. It's where you can find that information.
6: Yes. Because knowing the CL is important because it helps guide you to the appropriate skill DCs, and that's uh, that's that's a key screw up that a lot of people make that we're going to come to. Um, Dave, what's your second step after you determine the CL?
5: You must determine the complexity of the challenge. Mm -hmm. So
6: that's kind of confusing. Can you elaborate on that?
5: All right. So yes, this is where people do get confused. As a matter of fact, I, I would tend to agree with that statement. After I'm, yeah, I'm in agreeance. In other words. Hmm. Yeah, what I'm saying here is that a skill challenge success requires a certain number of successes before you get X number of failures, or three, for example. All right, so how many successes? Well, it depends on the complexity of your skill challenge. So how many do you need before three failures? Complexity number one, level one. All right, this is the most basic. Five before three failures. Five success before three failures. Complexity two, eight before three failures. Complexity three, 11 before three failures. So. What? Dude, that's rough. Well, it can be, dude. That is
1: tough.
5: It can be, but you get more XP for more complex skill challenges. Okay, so you're trading risk for reward. Complexity two, success awards XP as if you'd beaten two opponents of that CL and complexity now, 3 is like 3 times that cl
3: well wait a second but what if what if it's like super easy to do all of the skills so then i would say complexity 3 would be fine so if all of your dc's are set super low so maybe at 15 then 11 successes before 3 failures would be extremely reasonable well sure agree, but, but then you that...
5: then you've set the you've set the cl level wrong
6: uh, ex- exactly. If if you have DCs that low, then your CL is going to be low as well. So if your party's having a really hard time with skill challenges, I find a good way to get their feet wet, and if you want them to succeed, is to give them a low CL, but give it a very high complexity. That way they can still reap decent rewards from it, but at the same time get their feet wet without getting turned off by failing it very badly. Right. So okay, so this is a little confusing, but I think I've got it. So we figure out the CL, but that's not enough. After that, I gotta determine the complexity of it, which is you know either five, eight, or eleven successes before I fail three times, and you know increased complexity is I- increases the XP award from it. If it I means is that, is this making sense?
5: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
6: Okay.
5: When the next you- step. Now, I was going to say, when do you actually start planning this thing out?
6: Well, that's where you go. Those are the first two steps you must do, okay? And the next thing is you then, okay, choose your primary skills and your DCs. Okay, this this is really the fun part. This is the, the real planning. Okay, now, as a GM, you need to figure out ahead of time what skills are most likely to be used in this skill challenge, and you need to set the DCs for them based off of, as T.G. mentioned, Table 2-1 found on page 43 of Galaxy of Intrigue. Um, now there are different types of DCs here, and the table has has five types of DCs. Now this is in, where I've GMs tend to seriously screw up a skill challenge. So let's talk about this, okay? Table two one offers DCs per CL based on how hard the check would be, and as I said there's five five hardness levels. There is the first one, TG. What's the first one?
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's easy. I like easy. <laughs> <laughs>
6: you see what I did there? You see what I did there? I, like, I like that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> T- I see TG that.
6: TG likes it easy.
3: I do. Because then you have an extremely high likelihood of success. Even okay. on a crappy roll? Yes.
6: Okay. So easy DC. Even
3: easy. if you're being craptastic.
6: Even if you're being craptastic. Even if you're going to roll crappy, you're still most likely going to succeed. Okay. That's where you'd set the easy DC. Um. Dave, after easy would be,
5: um, hard. No, medium.
6: <laughs> medium. Yes. Like you, medium, Dave. Medium, Dave. <laughs> I like medium, Dave. <laughs> see what I did there? See what I did? Huh? huh? See, what did? Okay. see what you did? See what you did? See what I did? Uh, huh? Master so, of a segue. Master. Master. Master segue. So what is what is medium DC?
5: Well, that would be a good chance of success, but the possibility of a failure with a bungled roll.
6: Ah, uh, okay. So, not as, not as easy as Easy DC, where you can probably succeed even on a crappy roll. This one, you'll succeed unless you roll crap. Um, so Most likely. Okay. So, obviously after that comes the moderate DC. Um, now, to be f- quite frank, unless you want to make a skill challenge very hard, in my opinion, most of your stuff should be in the moderate to medium range. And I find this is where a lot of people tend to mess up. Um, uh, a, a lot of people tend to mess up. Um, moderate DC is equal parts, um, success and equal parts failure. You know, does that, you know, does that make sense? You got a 50, 50 shot?
5: Yeah. moderate. Pretty much. moderate. That's like middle of the road. Like 50, 50. 50, 50. Like equal. Um,
6: TG is, is TG on? She says she has no sound.
5: Have we lost her? Have we lost her? She's probably bungled her computer connection. She has lost Skype. The battle of Skype. Well, we'll
6: see if we can get her back.
5: Oh, mercy. This
6: is merciful.
5: Oh, Skype. Here again. Fails us. You have failed us for the
6: last time. Dave, Skype. We'll get rid of you, but no, we won't, not really.
5: (laughs) Because it's impossible. Are are you back, TG? It is absolutely... Impossible,
3: you missed me, didn't you? We yeah. did miss both you. of you.
5: We did,
6: you missed moderate DCs. Book so. review, um,
3: but yeah, okay, no. I missed moderate, but I am back just in time for hard. <laughs> DC.
5: You see what I did there? You see what I did? Yeah, <laughs> all right, TG's hard hard skill challenge with extended meat.
6: Yes, so uh-huh. TG, okay, if, if a moderate DC is 50 is 50, you have an equal chance to succeed, equal chance to fail. What's a hard DC?
3: It means you are very likely to fail. If you're hard, you're very likely to fail.
6: Uh, usually, in my experience, yes. Yes. Yeah, quite very sad. So, hard DC, you're very likely to fail. But that's not the final tier. There is the heroic DC, Dave, which means what?
5: It's going to take a big O face for you to pass.
6: Pretty much.
5: Only the pendant man will pass. It's, you will. You are going to fail unless something miraculous happens.
6: Pretty much, yeah. So those are the basic levels. I see GMs far too often assigning these DCs way too high. And if you are finding that your players are consistently getting pwned by your skill challenges, one of two problems is occurring. One, the CL is too high. Or, more often, two, you are setting the DCs too high of a level for each challenge. So, Dave, you asked the good question earlier. You said, okay, so what? How do I actually assign these? How do I choose? Would you like me to go through an example? Sure. Okay. So I want to build a skill challenge where a PC... Okay, let's pull straight from the movies, okay? The PC ship's hyperdrive has failed. We'll call this ship, oh, the Millennium Falcon, okay? And Imperial Warships are bearing down on them. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. So they've only got moments to get the hyperdrive up and running. What do they do? Okay. Well, if I'm doing this for PCs, we'll say the party is level four. Now I want this to be fairly challenging, so I will make it a CL six challenge. Okay, which is pretty heavy for a level four party. I'm gonna make it complexity one, which is just five successes before three failures. Okay. Um, Next thing you need to I need to I want to do is figure out my primary skills. Okay, these are just a couple of skills that I think they're going to use. I figure, what do you figure, guys, for 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 that type of skill challenge? Mechanics, use computer.
3: Knowledge, technology. Knowledge,
6: technology. Brilliant. Okay, three primary skills. They're all going to be very important. That's not a lot of primary skills. It's only three, but you know what? That's okay, and we'll come to why later. So, okay, I've got three primary skills. Mechanics, use computer, knowledge, technology. How do I assign my DCs? OK, what the players don't know is that the Imperials sabotage their hyperdrive while the ship was docked. So the mechanics check, I think because of that, should be pretty damn tough. Um, you know what? But one of my players happens to be a tech specialist. And damn it, he's got a 16 intelligence. He's trained and focused in mechanics. So at level four, he's got a plus 15 modifier. He's going to get a DC 25 on average. I want to make it harder on him. I'm going to give the mechanics a hard DC of 30. Uh, per the chart on table 2-1 uh, for a CL6 encounter. So without any type of aid or force points, I pretty much only want him to have a 25% chance of natural success with a mechanics check. There we go. Um, use computer, next one. Okay, that could be key. It could, you, know, you could pull an R2-D2 and reveal the imperial tampering with a simple system scan. I'll set that as a medium DC, DC-22. And knowledge technology could also provide a lot of insight into maybe where and how the hyperdrive could be damaged. Another medium DC. 22 so bam i've identified three primary skills i've set the dcs based on the likelihood of the players being able to accomplish that for a fairly challenging skill challenge but now guys we come to the fun part secondary skills Aha! Uh-huh. being ready for them um I think the real fun of a skill challenge done right is harnessing the creativity of your players to suggest their own skills for the challenge. And for this reason alone, I personally, as I mentioned earlier, I prefer to only flesh out a handful of primary skills, certainly no more than the number of people in your party. Um, Now, though you may differ, uh, I mean, though you may offer offer primary skills as suggestions, I think you need to encourage your players to suggest alternate skills and describe how they're going to use them. Um, and you know what? Hey, if a random skill is offered up that's a real stretch to use, darn it, it gets a higher DC.
3: So okay? like so like bluffing the hyperdrive so that it'll work?
6: Yeah, that would be heroic. <laughs> 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 would be, yeah. I want to use deception. Okay, how do you want to use it? I want to radio to the Imperials and say uh, that... Um, uh, that, you know, we're really an Imperial transport and our comp signals, our, our transponder codes out. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. That. Go ahead and give me the roll. and ma'am, heroic DC and checking my chart. Oh, that's a DC 35 at level four. Good luck. Uh,
5: <laughs> so, okay. So what about this? What about me as a guy who doesn't have any tech skills but I have got really good perception and I notice that the hatch or the panel to the hyperdrive is not locked.
6: Ah, okay, see now that would that would be it. So you could so that's an excellent suggestion. You can say, you know, I want to use perception. Well, Dave, how would you how does your character want to use it? I want to look for signs of obvious tampering on the ship. You know, darn it, I I think that's a great idea. Um Maybe you know a party scout uh, who you know Hardy has perception maxed out and can re-roll it. Okay, um, I like that idea a lot. It's creative. I'll make it a medium DC of twenty-two. Boom! There you go. Um, and there's there's uh, wow there's a success. And if you don't want it to be a success, at the very least, I would allow it to be okay. You succeed. That's going to aid another on the next mechanics check. More of the same. Um, other other good examples for secondary skills. Um, maybe once the system, the sabotage system has been identified, there's uh, angry Wookie in the party <laughs> who gets angry and he wants to grab the deck plate uh, that the mechanic is struggling to get off to do his work and just rip it out. Okay. Um.
5: Nice. What what,
6: what skill would you suggest for that?
5: Uh, skill focused percussive maintenance.
3: Ah yes, <laughs> yes, very nice. Spring. AKA strength. <laughs>
6: Yes. Well, no, this brings up a good point because, and one of the things the chapter mentions is for something like that, you might have a player that actually says, you know what, I, I just want to rip something out. It could be a simple ability check. You want to try and avoid that if at all possible because, unfortunately, pure ability checks don't add half your level to them, so they're going to be behind the curve. If you do use a pure ability check, you need to severely lower the DC. Okay. Severely. So make um, easy. Make it easy make it easy, or reduce the moderate DC by uh, half the level of the party. Something to that effect. Um, in, in that case, if I had somebody suggest a strength check to rip off that offending panel, um, I would counter, as a GM, with maybe an endurance check. You know, Say, you know what? It's not strength, but it's endurance. You have to strain to rip the panel off. You know, I really like that. I see it as cinematic. I see him easily doing it, so I'll give it an easy DC of 17. It's creative and it's fun. So very quickly, that is just an easy way on the fly and in planning to assign DCs to primary and secondary skills in a skill challenge. But that's not the only thing you have to do. There is a couple more really important things you have to consider when creating your skill challenge. Oh, right. Um,
5: what's that? TG?
3: Yeah.
6: What's the next thing you need to consider or should consider? You don't have to do it, but it it makes the skill challenge a lot more fun.
5: Absolutely.
3: Well, you, sh- you should consider the challenge effect. So... Sometimes it's just flat out fun to add a further complication to the challenge. Um, page 43 and 40 through 47 are filled with options for this. So like in the example that you were giving above, okay. if you were to hot, if you had, or if you wanted our hotshot mechanic to have the chance to severely bungle things up, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Um, so Epic the ship fail. is cobbled together anyway.
6: So the Nickelodeon Falcon, yeah?
3: Yeah, so you're going to add the catastrophic failure effect to the mechanic's Epic skill, fail. for instance. So if a mechanic's check is failed by 10 or more, it counts as two failures instead of just one. Ouch! Ouch. Or I, And I like... I know it probably doesn't say this, but what about the option of making it add negatives to future checks
6: you know what tg it's not codified in the book but that's an excellent challenge effect you don't need to be limited to what's in the book um, by a long shot you should feel free to modify whatever's in there and do your own i think it's fantastic you know if you if you crap up a challenge like, like you're saying for that that um uh the catastrophic failure maybe instead of counting as two failures you're right oh wow you just blew out the primary buffer panel Um, you're going to suffer a minus two to all mechanics checks for the remainder of the encounter. Right. You know, Um, I think that's hilarious and it's very cinematic.
3: If you're trying to, you know, use persuasion in a certain situation and you blunder and you say something really stupid that offends them. Well, that's going to make it more difficult to, it's not, it's going to make it quicker for you to fail with them, but it's going to make it more difficult for you to talk to them and persuade them in the future. Absolutely, makes sense.
6: Absolutely, I think it's kind of the counter to the having a, a random skill check serving as an aid. So, okay, Dave, talk to us about the last thing you really need to consider when you're building a skill challenge.
5: Truth or consequences. Mm-hmm. New Mexico. So anyway, consequences. Perfect. What happens when you fail? You die. No, you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you succeed? I mean, ultimately, in our experience, the best way to handle the effect of a challenge is to simply either make the plot easier or make the plot more complicated. Failure should never stop the story. It just makes it advance in a tougher way. You fail the negotiation, you get into a bar fight. It adds an encounter. <laughs> exactly. so okay
6: so what about our above example I mean considering you know this whole repair hyperdrive skill challenge what happens if the heroes succeed
5: then they rocket off to the safety and Darth Vader turns around and says you have failed me for the last (laughs) time
6: (laughs) (laughs) there you go okay so what if they fail
5: Uh, then they bring them on board the ship and they have to split up into level 1 and level 2 sir and into the garbage chute flyboy
6: exactly Leads to a whole new encounter, you know? Escape from command ship or something to that effect. Maybe, maybe if it's something you're using in your game, maybe perhaps the story doesn't shift at all, but a local crime lord, uh, a crime syndicate shows up and distracts the Imperials long enough for you to repair your hyperdrive after you failed the challenge and make a clean getaway. But guess what? You were escaped, but now you owe a powerful crime boss a very large favor. Ooh. Which could complicate things greatly. It could. So there you go. So, okay, th- that is a bare-bones look at constructing a skill challenge. We're about to get a lot deeper into it. But Bear to bones. summarize some of the things we've talked Bear about, it's important to talk about some of the most important bones. lessons. And, guys, I really want y'all's input on this because we have all had some great stories to share here. Look, you can read the books all you want. You can analyze it till your heart's content, but nothing – Nothing can give you the stones to make a dynamite skill challenge better than running and playing them yourself again and again and again and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And our play group has done many skill challenges, many before GOI even came out, and we've learned a fair bit.
5: We wrote it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
6: I think fourth edition. That's where we all kind of got the idea was from um, there. But listen, yeah. t- take this as you will with one or many grains of salt. But in our actual play experience, there are a few of the best things we've learned and the best tips we can give you. Um, yes. Okay. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna talk about the first one. Skill versatility. The death. I repeat, the death of any skill challenge is this. Too few skills, with too narrow a scope, and a GM who either is not willing or more likely isn't encouraging diverse skill use. This, This is why my challenges have relatively few primary skills, to force me, the GM, to listen to what my players have to say. So okay, it's time to throw GM Brev under the bus.
1: <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> All
6: right, I Brev, I love you. You're my best friend in the world, and you have redeemed yourself by writing some of the best skill challenges I've ever played.
3: But and one back of, to your point of back saying, to my that point. You need, no, back to your original point where you were saying the best way to get good at doing this is running them over and over yes. and over and over again, yes. and that's exactly what he's done. Is he's continued to use them. Over and over and over and over again in all of his stories. And You're every single time he's getting better. He has honed
6: He has honed his skill challenge blade to a razor's edge. The man is amazing, but he did not start that way. No. <laughs> he did TG, not. tell us no. about the
1: bridge.
3: Oh, dear. See, I don't really... I remember the circumstances. Either we were running away or we were trying to get to... So okay, we were it, trying it, it, to get to these giant... Um, spiders, basically, to fight them. But there was this bridge over this huge cavern that we probably couldn't even see the bottom of, and it was windy. So, it, and it was very narrow, and it was a skill challenge to move across this bridge. And every so many squares, we all had to re-roll these checks. And each one of us had to do the same thing. So we had to oh. roll. What I
5: tried was to. It? Can I persuade? Endurance, can right? I persuade the wind to not blow?
2: Yeah, I
6: mean, yeah, there, no, there, no, we had were, to do endurance checks. and it was, it was jump and climb, and that climb.
3: That was, that was it. That was all there was. And that was then, all we were allowed wow. to do.
5: So you didn't and have any you nobles. Failed. You didn't have any Jedi. You didn't have any nobles. You didn't have any.
3: We had one Jedi, well, sort of one, one that actually had move object as a as a force power, but only one who had it, and he had a few. It was it was Chris's character who had. Force points. Now the thing is, is if we failed the check, when we failed that specific check, we would start to fall off the bridge. We would get to roll a check as a reaction, like acrobatics or something, to try to catch on. If we failed that check, we would continue to fall
6: and die unless it was was like two checks that could potentially save you. Right. And the
3: only other option was for the person that knew move object to me move object and pull that person back up.
5: And
6: how many times did I move object in my force sweep?
5: Skill, focus, levitate.
6: Once. Once. So he kept
3: having to use force points in order to collect us. Seven
6: force points in one encounter. Yeah, one of us
3: tried to throw a rope over so we could catch on. I think that worked for one. But it took several rounds of, I think, of him seeing, okay, what I had set up wasn't really working before he started to let us try throwing a rope down and doing that kind of thing. You know, let, let me let me pull out a rope and throw it and let's try using that instead of just letting people fall. Yes. But yeah, that was before it ever came out in in a Galaxy of Intrigue, though. So I don't think anybody was completely familiar with how it worked.
6: No, no. But it, it illustrated a few good points. Now, Dave, do you recall um, one of our... Uh, a few sessions ago in Alt U, uh, our flagship game, when you guys were on Narshada and you had the little spy droid follow you. Yes. And you guys chased after it. Yes. That was one of that was I think it was a, it was an okay skill challenge, but it was one of my early ones as well. And quite frankly, do you think I offered you a whole lot of skill versatility?
5: Not really, because it pissed me off.
6: uh and and there you go i mean i mean i had quite a few skills there was like five or six but once they were used they were used and so you were forced to roll something you know that you you know basically it was like a list and you guys had to check it off and oh i'm sorry you've already used that skill yes my Um, wookiee
5: was having to roll a charisma check
6: yes um and that was, that was interesting. Um, I mean, it, it turned out well in the end. You guys did okay. It was very cinematic. Um, but again, it was, it was very regimented. I think that was the flaw of that skill challenge. I, as a GM, did not encourage you to try and give me skills, to, to make suggestions. It was, okay, you're doing this. These are the skills you can choose from. Okay? And that was a problem. Um, now, TG, you were there for, speaking of the, the, the redemption of GM Brev, um, of course, we've talked about uh, the infamous Dance Off many times. Fantastic skill challenge that Brev has created. But you were there for his last KOTOR session. Yes. Um, at which he had, what, three, four skill challenges in?
3: Yeah, we had more skill challenges, I think, than actual combat encounters.
6: We had two combat encounters. That was it. Um, and they were all masterfully done.
3: Yeah, they were. They were and- all really good. Really good. Because they were, it, it was, okay, you you had all these different checks you can make, but we can make suggestions for other checks. And he encouraged uh, it. Right. And then it wasn't, okay, if you fail your check, this immediately happened. It was collectively as a team, how many failures did you get before something really good?
6: Yes. And that, yeah. that's that true nature of the skill challenge is finally starting to move towards. But I was impressed with the versatility in Brev's campaign for these skill challenges the last few times. And it was one of those things, you know, you'd think about it when it's your turn. I want to make a survival check. And he would look at you and say, okay, how are you going to use that? And if you gave a plausible justification, he would go, okay, well, give me a roll," And he would consult his table and you'd either succeed or fail. But it was the creativity that... Really made it fun, allowing the players to flex those creative muscles.
3: Yeah, I think that gets people more engaged in the story because they feel like they're actually shaping the story by making a specific check yes. to make the story occur a certain way.
6: Yes, I mean, I think it's character playing, and that's a, a key point of it. Now, okay, so skill versatility, very important lesson. Next important lesson, Dave. What's the, what, what, what is the next important lesson that anyone writing a skill challenge for Saga needs to consider?
5: Uh, let's see. Force points and aid another. Mm. That is what I'm talking about. So Saga, unlike a lot of uh, other systems that have skill challenges, has a few uh, mechanics that really should be monopolized, should be monopolized during a skill challenge. So force points. Okay. Dude, I
6: got into a debate about this with a guy on the forums. A rather rather intelligent poster on our own forums. Really? Yeah, it it was good. Um, Why? Well, okay, I, I maintain that you should expect your players to use force points in a skill challenge the same way you would in a combat encounter. I don't see any difference. They're both encounters. They both award XP, allowing you to level and gain more force points. They both advance the story. Just because you're not shooting somebody, probably, doesn't mean you don't spend your force points. Now, if you waste your last... Possibly life-saving force point on a skill challenge. I'll chide you the same way I would if you did that in combat yeah. on an attack roll or a skill check. But I mean, what, what do you guys think? I think, I mean, and, and when we had Rodney on to discuss chill, skill challenges last, he talked about when they were making the DCs, they considered things like, okay, this DC is going to be the the average is this if they spend a force point and stuff like that. I think force points should be considered to be spent in skill challenges.
5: Sure. I wouldn't write it. I wouldn't write it expecting for a lot of force points to get used. But, no. Yeah. No.
6: But like earlier in my example where I made that mechanics DC a hard DC, okay? Meaning he was only our, – our, our master mechanic was only going to have a 25% chance to get it naturally. He spends a force point. All of a sudden, that could be a much, much right. easier challenge. Absolutely. Um, you know, you get a plus five or a plus six there, and you're golden.
3: But that that is assuming that you're writing something to be – the, basically the skill challenge to be heroic or hard. And I yeah. would say even only heroic because that's the point of part of why you have Force Points and Destiny Points is that's why you're different from everybody else because you're a hero and you're heroic. So in order to accomplish those feats, those challenges that face you as a character – you have a little bit extra oomph that allows you to get something done that most people wouldn't.
6: Yeah, this is true. So and that's,
3: that's where I think you should expect your players to use force points, if it's heroic or hard, but not if it's, a, if it's any less than that. Yeah,
6: I, I agree. If it's, if it's moderate or medium, I don't think you should expect your players to spend a force point to make that DC. I mean, you know hey, if they bungle the roll and they want to, okay, that's their call. But I agree with UTG. I don't think that should be built into your decisioning for the the DC. Yeah. Um. Not by a long shot. So okay, okay Dave. So after force points, what other, you know, uh, you know, you, you what other you know methods? You mentioned aid and other, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got what? I mean, you've got several skill enhancing abilities in Saga. Sure. I mean. Saga is, what, I mean, there's there's tons of mechanics for you know one character to aid another in, in a significant class-based way on skill checks. I mean, what, uh, Jedi, Scoundrel, and Noble, three out of the five base classes, Th- they have, as part of their core talents, for Pete's sake, I mean, the ability to significantly aid somebody else or themselves on a skill check. Um, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, there's numerous feats and racial abilities and other class talents um, that that allow for further aid and re-rolls. And I, I think that must be considered when assigning your DCs. Yep. Um, and TG, I guess this leads us to the, the last thing about the the force points and Aid and Other.
3: Why which... are you pointing out me on this?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
6: Plan accordingly. Get your player's character sheets well before you build this encounter. You need to know what their stat modifiers are you need to know what abilities they have in terms of how they can enhance those skills, what they can reroll, how many force points they have, do they have the rapport feat?
3: Assuming they give you their character sheets. And they should,
6: of- you're the GM. <laughs> but I think it's important it's important to have that when you're building a skill challenge and because it should guide your DC assignment. That's very important. Okay. So based on those lessons, Mm-hmm. Let's let's put this into action guys. Let's let's do this. Based on the emails on the forum posts that you guys have been sending, one of the number one requested things about skill challenge we are going to do for you right now. On the show live, I am going to design a skill challenge on this podcast for use with characters in my actual campaign and then big round of applause, two of my very own players, TG and GM Dave, are going to play through it live on the air.
3: Da-da-da! Now we get XP for this, right? Sure. <laughs> Awesome.
6: <laughs> Why not? Not really, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, to before before yeah. we start this, um, I know I asked you guys before the show, you have your character sheets with you?
5: Uh, what? Yeah. Character right sheets? Right here. You
6: have, your, you have your character sheets with you? Oh, yeah. Right
5: here. Okay. I got mine. Right okay.
6: Here. You have your dice? Right here.
3: I've been playing with them the whole time.
6: Oh, Whoa. okay. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Hada, bada, bada. Yes. Okay. So,
5: <clears throat>
6: designing the skill challenge. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to create a skill challenge from scratch for a pair of my own PCs that are off on a side mission. Now, in my flagship game, Alternate Universe uh, Campaign, the PCs are heroes that are working for Luke Skywalker's Resistance Alliance, fighting against the evil of the Dark Lord, Leia Skywalker, and the Galactic Republic. <laughs> so, on a side mission, two of my PCs, played by TG and Dave, um, TG, tell us about your, your character.
3: Hold on, I'm trying to get my my character sheet up and my I got to get everything in the right order before but you I'm gonna roll. All right, you so, tell us about Ula. All right, I can. Ula Ula Voss is a Twi'lek noble, corporate agent. She's mostly noble and then a few or three levels in corporate agent. So and she just basically kicks ass in general.
6: <laughs> what would you say her focus is?
3: It would be persuasion. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Definitely, definitely so, persuasion. Her, her her persuasion skill um, bonus is 24.
6: And you are level 10, yes?
3: Yes, I'm level 10.
6: Okay. So definitely a social character. Dave, yes. tell us about your character.
3: Uh, so Laura
5: is a hack and slash meat wall. Okay. He's soldier six. Jedi 2, Jedi Knight 1, and <clears throat> is an ass beater to the nth power, basically. He is. Wookiee Meat Shield. Absolutely melee monster. He is built to lead the party into physical combat.
6: There you go. So, all right, those are our two PCs, and they're going to travel on this side mission um, to the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk. And the goal here is to convince several powerful Wookie clans to give their support to the resistance. Um, so the best part, it's Life Day. <laughs> it is the Life Day Festival on Kashyyyk. Why not? So the clan leadership will be gathered together uh, all in one place, presenting an ample opportunity for the pair of you to try and turn multiple clans over to the Alliance. My okay. Way. So as a GM, here's the stuff I'm going to do beforehand. I'm going to design the basics of the encounter. I'm going to determine my CL and my complexity. Now, these, this pair of, of PCs are level 10 now, and I want a decent on-par encounter, so I'm going to set the skill challenge CL at 11. After all, there's only two of them, okay? I don't want it to be a cakewalk either, so I'm going to give it a complexity of two. Uh, eight successes before three failures. Um, after all, the Wookiees aren't offering to join the Resistance. More than anything, these clans in the story, they want to stay out of the fight. So convincing them is going to be a little less than easy. So if they do it, I should reward them with some extra XP. I'm going to make it a CL2. Or, excuse me, make it a Complexity 2. So, okay, primary skills. I am taking a look at Ula and Solura's character sheets right now. And I see the Wookiee is uh, centered around physical skills. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong.
5: Yep, yep. yep.
6: Um, and the Twilight is centered around social skills, and I would like a skill challenge that kind of caters to both. So, an idea hits me. Um, how about this? One of the key events uh, at this clan gathering for Life Day is a contest between the clans, and an obstacle course through a dangerous, beast ridden section of thick Kashyyyk forest. Okay. Now, during play, hopefully, it will occur to the PCs to have Salura go ahead and enter as a participant uh, to prove his worth to the clans. And if he doesn't think of that on his own, you know what? I might just have the first success on a knowledge social sciences role, reveal that piece of information, okay? So, okay, I, I want a few primary social skills and a few primary physical skills. Um, the first primary social skills that come to my mind, uh, persuasion, deception, knowledge social sciences, uh, persuasion. And treating the leadership to the wisdom of joining the alliance. You know they're they're already shaky about it, so I want to make this hard. Um, I want to give it a DC of thirty-three hard DC. Um, I mean, heck, Ula's natural modifier is what TG twenty-four. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty darn reasonable. Um, uh, okay, uh, deception. Mm, deceive, lie to the leadership about the strength of the alliance and make false claims about the impending doom of uh, uh, Republic wrath coming down on them that may or may not actually exist. Um, To me, that should be a bit more plausible uh, with a moderate DC of 29. Um, Knowledge, social sciences, um, understanding the nuances of Wookiee culture, honor and appealing to that. You know what? As a GM, they've got a Wookiee in the party. They've known him for years now. I think they would learn a lot from him. I think that should be pretty easy. Probably, honestly, an easy DC of 19. Okay, physical primary skills. Um, Navigating this obstacle course through the trees of Kashyyyk. Pretty basic. Climb, jump, and endurance. Scream at me. Uh, Climb, gracefully navigating through the giant trees. Uh, Wookiees, they're natural climbers, uh, but the obstacles are tough, so I'm going to set a medium DC of about 24. Um, according to the chart, and i um, looking at Solura's character sheet. He's strong, but he's not specced out for physical skills the way Ula is for social skills. He's good at them, but he's not stupendous at them. So medium DC works for me. Um, and using that logic, I'm going to assign the same medium DC to both jump and endurance. Okay, great. So I've got a handful of primary skills. But now I want to add a challenge effect. I think it would be fun to institute a pair of complementary challenge effects here. Catastrophic failure and extreme success with a twist. Like like M. Night Shyamalan, with a twist! Ooh, Damon uh, twist. With a twist! Uh, so catastrophic failure, which is uh, a, complica- a challenge effect that you can add where out of the book, if you fail uh, a, a skill challenge check uh, by 10 or more, it accrues two failures instead of one. I don't kind of like that. I want to modify it ever so slightly. I don't want it to apply to all skill checks. Just one. Deception. And due to that caveat that it only applies to one, I'm going to adjust it slightly as well. If the deception check is failed by five or more, it'll count as two failures instead of one. I think Wookiee Honor would grow greatly affronted if any of the heroes were caught lying. So I think that would have a severe impact. So there we go. And I want to also include extreme success, which is another cool challenge effect. Basically, for any of the primary physical skills, if a success occurs that is 10 or more over the target DC, it'll count as two successes. Because I can see Salura maybe calling on the Force or something, looking at his character sheet, and you know maybe using Surge and doing some awesome feat of total badassery in the physical skill department and totally impressing the clan leaders with his prowess. And I think that should count as two successes. So there we go. I've come up with some primary skills. I've come up with my CL, my complexity, and I have a couple challenge effects for this. Okay, And this has taken us, what, six minutes? Secondary skills. I know that my players are nothing if not creative, and I know they're going to throw some curveballs at me, uh, but I will happily take it as it comes uh, with table 2-1 on page 43 of GOI bookmarked for when that does happen. So, okay guys, are we ready to actually play this out? I got my notes here, I got a pen handy, I've got a piece of paper to mark your successes and failures. Are are we ready to actually do this?
3: Let's kick this pig.
2: Let's do it!
6: Done. Okay. Let's get it on. So, we'll start this scene in Meteor Res, where, screen wipe, and you guys are standing on top of a large tree platform overlooking the beauty of Kashyyyk. And the sun is just rising. It's a gorgeous day. And uh, Wookiees all over are walking around, you
1: know,
6: <laughs> doing you know the speaking in Shri wook And, uh, you know, all of them are so happy to be talking about Life Day and the wonderful celebrations that are about to take place. Um, <laughs> you guys walk up to a hut where the uh, clan leaders of all the major clans that have gathered here are meeting. And, uh, you know, you're not stupid. You communicated ahead of time. Uh, that you were coming, and so several of them are expecting you, and you can see they don't look too terribly happy.
3: Uh-uh. No. All right. So, so, well, can I, can I kind of, well, how about a perception check to see if I can pick up f- um, other conversations around before we get there about why they might not be happy?
6: Well, that's an interesting suggestion, TG. Um, okay. I'm looking at my chart. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, perception is interesting, but you know what? I think I'm going to counter. I think for what you're talking about, picking up information, I think gather information is going to be a lot more appropriate skill check.
3: All right. But you can
6: try that okay. if you'd like.
3: Okay. <laughs> That's a
6: 24 total. 24 total. Yes. Uh, All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, what you've discovered, uh, TG, is that... uh through your gather information check, people are gathered here heavily to watch this upcoming obstacle course, um, that apparently there's this huge two-mile tract of jungle uh, beneath the celebration grounds where uh, the champions of each clan that is gathered here are going to be running through this massive uh, obstacle course, of this this challenge, to try and... Basically, it's a race to compete for the the honor of being the strongest. And it's a, a big point of clan honor, and uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of people are here watching it. And um, you hear a few other things, too. People are talking about your presence. They know why you're here. They know what you represent. They're not too happy about it. Most of them completely kind of want to stay out of things. And um, you also hear a few things about Solura. You hear his name mentioned a few times. Really? Um,
3: yeah. What have you done, Who? What's her name? What's her name?
5: I can't tell you that. Ugh.
6: What what you what Uli hears is that a lot of people are questioning his decision to leave the home world, and questioning um, whether he still has any honor left.
5: Oh, Ooh,
1: that's going
3: to piss him off. Probably, <laughs> of Probably.
5: course it does. Of course it does, and so he takes his place immediately, and is ready to compete.
6: Ah, okay. Well, it's not just going up there. You'll need to get approval for this. Um, I mean, in line in line with your mission, do you guys want to approach the clan leadership about this?
5: I believe we should try and persuade them.
3: Yeah. Okay. I think so.
6: Now, as an aside, Gammer Nation, one of the things we didn't talk about that I kind of want to illustrate now is ways to introduce a skill challenge. There is partial disclosure, full disclosure, and no disclosure. Um, I am personally a fan of partial disclosure. I believe it's appropriate to tell your players, hey, you know what, guys? You are now in a skill challenge. And that's about it. I'll leave it at that. Maybe suggest a few primary skills. Full disclosure is, you're in a skill challenge. Here's the skills you need to use. No disclosure is, I let you guys just continue with this scene, playing it out perfectly, and I secretly record successes and failures. I've seen all of these work. Cool. But to continue with our game, um, okay, guys. What, what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a skill challenge, okay? Um, as you requested, you approached the, the Wookiee clan leadership about this, um, you know, and they understand why you're here, but they're really not willing to entertain any talks. Um, they're really not interested in talking to you, and it's very clear that you're going to have to win their approval. Um, Salura, you know, with your request, that they say that anyone is welcome to compete? Um, you know, since you are, you know, of the, you know, resistance clan, lack, for lack of a better term, that you, you're welcome to compete on their behalf. Mm. Um, but they don't expect you to do very well.
5: Well, what a surprise they're in for.
6: Yes. <laughs> well, in just a few short minutes, um, a lot of the entrants are gathered down on one of the lower tiers uh, to begin the obstacle course. Uh, do you want to head down there?
5: Yes, Solora is heading down there.
6: All right. Well, you climb onto a massive wooden lift uh, with uh, little repulsor lifts at the bottom of it and several other Wookiees sneer at you in your Jedi robes with your lightsaber on your belt as you stare off placidly and the lift slowly begins going down the tree. Um, Ula, what, is your, what are you doing?
3: Well, before he gets out of sight, is it possible for me to inspire confidence on him? Mm. To, to give him a, a nice little boost? So that way he can feel extra um, skillful as he's going through this, knowing that his, uh, his teammate really that's, supports him, despite the fact of the other that's
6: a That's a pretty good question. D- uh, does Inspire Confidence require your, your uh, ally to be in line of sight?
3: I don't know. I don't have the book in front of me. Oh, well, that would be a problem.
6: I got it. I got it. Let me look to the book right here. Uh, think, Inspire Confidence.
5: I think as long it's, as I'm in line of sight, it works. But once I cross out of line of sight, I think it's gone.
6: No, you do, you're do. you fine. Um, your allies That's do all. not need to remain within line of sight to you. Really? <laughs> so there you go. That's the one that costs standard action. You know what, TG? It's a once in a counter ability. Yes, I will certainly allow you to do that.
3: Fantastic. Plus that gets. That means Silur gets plus one on all of his skill checks.
6: Yes, Dave. Be sure to note that on your character sheet. Yeah. All right. Done and done. All right. Well, before he leaves on his uh, long repulsor lift ride down to the the uh, canopy uh, base, um, you give him a knowing nod and a wink. And he smiles at you knowingly, and you have successfully inspired him.
3: I'm so powerful. All I have to do is give a wink to inspire my comrades.
6: (laughs) Right, (laughs) like a girl I used to know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, Solora heads down Um, now. Uh, To the Gamer Nation, normally if you have a party of more than two people, it's often easy to have them roll initiative checks uh, at the start of a skill challenge just so you can say, okay, you're next, then you, then you, then you, then you. In this case, I just have two players. I'm just going to have them go back and forth. Okay. Um, You know what? Uh, I figure is going to take his time getting to the bottom of the canopy, and I figure you've got a few seconds before the actual obstacle race starts, Ula. So I'm going to give you the first check in this skill challenge. Now... For your part of it uh, I'll go ahead and recommend a few primary skills um, which uh, obviously you heard me discuss earlier uh, which would be persuasion <laughs> deception and knowledge social sciences but again I encourage you to you know use any skill you'd like uh, just let me know how you're gonna use it
3: okay well what I'd actually like to start off with and despite despite the first three that you listed would be knowledge bureaucracy so I'm dealing okay. with bureau- <laughs> can use this. okay so I'm dealing with a bureaucratic system essentially it's a it's slightly different from what i normally deal with but it's still a bureaucratic system i'm trying to get one community to join a battle right i want to use this to try to figure out what would be the best way to get them to come to our side i mean should i be deceptive should i be persuasive should i just sit and watch and wait what would be the best course of action to do that
6: okay i'll tell you what um, Go ahead and make me the knowledge bureaucracy roll. What you're wanting to know from bureaucracy would be more social sciences or maybe galactic lore, but you do find out some things with bureaucracy which could help you, so go ahead and give me the roll. Okay.
3: 14 plus 18
0: Hold 30, on. 32. 32.
3: It's <laughs> 32. Math
6: is hard. <laughs> All right. Uh, looking at my challenge DCs here, yeah, um, you know what, I'm going to count that as a success. Um, and basically, with bureaucracy, you you know what, Ula pauses and searches through her memory trying to remember how Wookiee clans are organized, what their leadership cast is like. And instantly, as you realize you need to start talking to some of these people and buttering them up, you know exactly who to talk to. You immediately recognize the individuals that are the heads of the clans based on the crests they wear on their uh, various ornaments
3: fantastic all right
6: well at this point you sidle over to them and uh you know start buttering them up ever so slightly as uh Solurus finally made his way to the bottom of this uh, this canopy lift and you, literally man you're, you're right in front of the start line you know you've got other wookie racers that are there that a lot of them are starting to roar and beat their chests and shake their fur menacingly and uh. ah, it's all crazy um yeah that all that Um, And pretty soon the signal for start is given and you set off. What is the first thing you'd like to attempt in terms of primary things I can recommend? Obviously you're going through the trees of Kashyyyk. There's lots of nasties around, lots of uh, dangers, Uh, climb jump and endurance would be recommended skills or primary skills. But again, be creative. Anything you could think of. Well, what do you want to do?
5: Uh, what's the goal here? The, is the goal the to the goal is to
6: beat everyone else to the end of this obstacle course and remain alive while doing so.
5: Ah, yes. Well, in that case, we shall climb the trees of Kashik to get into uh-huh. the natural environment of up in the trees.
6: Up in the trees. Go ahead and give me a climb check.
5: Indeed. Um. Yeah. That's gonna be a a, a twelve. So he's gonna re-roll a climb check because he can. And he gets, oh, mercy. Not good. A 27. A 27? That's not good. He used a force point to do it.
6: Ah, Okay. So you spend a force point. You get a 27. uh, That is a success. And uh, you vault over one of your competitors, leap into a nearby tree branch, and start scaling off through the canopy. Indeed. All right. Ula, back to you. You silo yeah. your way over to uh, these, these clan leaders. What's the next thing you'd like to try?
3: Well, I would like to well persuade one of these clan leaders.
6: Excellent. Basically,
3: yeah, just per- start talking to them. Tell them to come to our side.
6: Okay, go ahead and give me the check.
3: Ew. I rolled a six. So it's a 30. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's bad. <laughs>
3: It's bad for me.
6: <laughs> well, interestingly enough, Ula, he is oh. not convinced by your words.
5: Oh, oh What a butthead.
6: That did not stick me- my
3: tongue out at him behind his yes, back. <laughs> yes. He's n-
6: he's not convinced by your words. He kind of waves you off and he goes, <laughs> Which you which you under you know, understand to me. Look, I don't really want to talk to you about this right now. I'm trying to watch this race and uh, you know, you know, glory and honor to my clan, leave me alone. So, okay. there you go. All right, Dave. We're back to Salura. You're racing through the canopy and uh, swinging across vines and tearing ahead of your comrade, your your competitors. What do you want to attempt to do now?
5: Indeed, it is time to jump from one tree to another, and there, therefore, attempt a jump check.
6: Oh, I see. We'll go ahead and give you the jump check.
5: Oh yeah, that'll do the trick. That's going to be a twenty-nine.
6: Wow. Okay. Um. Ba-ba-ba. that easily does meet the dc sir um you leap uh, from a nearby branch uh, grab onto a vine do a double backflip somersault and uh land on a tree trunk as you scamper down along it uh leaving your competitors in your proverbial wookie dust very nice all right. Well, T.T., you're watching. You see Salura's not doing too bad. I mean, it's early on, but he is, a, he is uh, among the leaders. Um, and that does hearten you a little bit. You also hear some grumblings from the other Wookiees assembled to see this upstart doing so well in the race. Uh, what do you want to attempt now?
3: Hmm. How about some galactic lore knowledge? I mean, what would it mean for him to win? Okay. How much of an actual benefit would it give us if, he, if Salura were to win?
6: Well, actually, um, hmm. hmm. Okay, go ahead and give me the roll.
3: Okay. Oh, it's a natural 20. Total being? <laughs> is 33.
6: Okay. Um, this isn't going to give you a success in the skill challenge, because really what you're asking for is to know a little bit of additional information. Um, what you certainly do know is, for just from pure galactic lore in terms of your general knowledge of wiki culture not quite social sciences but that's a pretty high role um is that you know for a to to win at this competition um would carry a great deal of weight um i mean a great deal of weight so uh for your next skill check that you make in this challenge i'm gonna go ahead and give you a plus two competence bonus
3: awesome all
6: cool. right salura back to you all right, man, you're leaving your competitors in the dust, but up ahead of you is dark, thick, dank jungle, and it's just getting worse. What are you going to do now?
5: Well, I... Okay, speaking of dark forest, how about a perception check to potentially see the easiest path through said dark forest?
6: I like this idea. I think that's very valid. Go ahead and give me the check. 31. 31.
5: no, oh, 30, sh-moly. 30, 32. Sorry. I forgot the plus one.
1: Good day. Good day.
6: <laughs> wow. Okay, man. Yeah. That, that hits some moderate DC pretty easily. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and count that as a success. Beautiful. Uh, well, you managed to see ahead of you with your keen wookie eyes and sniff the air. And, uh, you managed to see that, um, the main path has sort of been laid out for you in the obstacle course looks kind of rickety, almost as if it's been intentionally sabotaged, maybe to throw contestants you know, off track just a bit. You recognize that, and you move around towards a little lesser, known, or lesser recognized path up through a higher grouping of tree branches and uh, head that way. Meanwhile, you see several of the competitors behind you go down that main path. You almost went down, and it crashes under their weight, and they tumble into the depths of the jungle. Yeah. All right, Ula, back to you. Uh, remember, you've got that plus two competence bonus on your next check. What would you like to attempt now?
3: Well, can I persuade again? Um,
6: you know what? You've already attempted to persuade. Um, I'd say yeah, but it's going to take a little bit longer. I would say what it was two rounds ago you attempted to persuade. I'm going to give it one more round before you attempt to persuade again before he's ready to start listening to you again.
3: Well, goodness. Um, I don't have a whole lot of extra options available to me. Maybe uh, let's, let's try making it sound that they're in dire straits if they don't join us. So kind of deception as far as how horrible things can get for them if they don't join us.
6: Okay. So you're going to try to lie to them. Yes. All right. Uh, Come on. Go ahead and give me the deception check. And remember, you're Uh, you're a Twi'lek. You can reroll this.
3: Yes. Oh, I don't know if I like that roll. (laughs) I rolled an eleven. That would give me a thirty.
6: A thirty? I don't
3: like. I don't like it. I can. That's mm. good.
6: That that's good enough to succeed, T.G. Okay. All right. Well you sidle back to the uh, clan leader that waved you off earlier and say, you know, using your earlier knowledge of, and you you can see he's watching Salura's prowess in this race with great interest. You say, you see how powerful he is. Do you understand how powerful the Alliance could, could help you? You know, you know, we've received intelligence reports that it's only a matter of time. The Republic is targeting Kashyyyk next. And he looks at you with very scared and nervous eyes.
5: Ooh. Ooh.
6: Dun, dun, dun. dun. All right. right. Salura, back to you. Um, At this point, man, you're in the lead, but there are competitors that are closing up on you fast. They saw the path you took, and they're following you. And at this point, they're growling and uh, seeming to want to get a little bit violent with you to perhaps even get you out of this race, or at the very least, get ahead of you. What do you want to do
5: now? What I'd like to do is to completely humiliate all of them, if I could. (laughs) Okay. How about uh, use the Force and activate Surge? For, oh dear! Uh, for a massive jump to outshine my competition, I don't know.
6: Okay, okay, you know it's it, this will be three rounds since you've used jump. I'll let you use it again. Um, go ahead and give me the use the force to activate surge first of all.
1: Yeah. Uh.
5: uh, twenty-three. Is that,
6: that maxes it out, sir.
5: Oh well, beautiful. Okay.
6: Go go ahead and give me your jump check. And you get a plus thirty to it.
5: <laughs> um Really? That's going to be a 57. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right,
6: when well you're running along and literally you call upon the power of the force, you calm your mind, you quiet the rage from all the wookies that are running and screaming around you, you use the lessons you've been taught and you literally jump off a tree branch, leap into the air, you know, about a dozen meters Do a cartwheel as you land beautifully on a tree branch that's this massive gap away. All your competitors stare at you slack-jawed. And Ula, up on the rise, you can hear just gasps of shock and awe from all the assembled Wookiees that are watching this. Um, And Dave, that is a critical success. I'm going to give you two successes for that by succeeding by 10 or more. And Ula, you can start to hear all the Wookiees that are assembled watching him, and slowly you start to hear this chant in Shriwook. Salura, Salura, Salura,
5: Salura.
6: salura.
5: Uh, Rocky, Rocky. Rocky.
6: And <laughs> what are you going to do?
3: It, now, you said that I could persuade after three rounds?
6: Yes, I'll, I'll allow you to persuade again if you would like.
3: Okay, well then now that I've got his attention, I'll start persuading him again.
6: All right, go ahead and give me the check.
3: Really? Really? You're going to roll the same thing? <laughs> I'm using a force point.
6: All right, roll it. Remember, you can roll 2 die 6 at this level.
3: All right. 35.
6: 35! Okay, that does it. Um, awesome. With that, you know, with, with the chanting of the crowd, you kind of lean into this clan leader and you say to him... You see the prowess of what we have to offer. You know an alliance would be beneficial. You know, look at the glory at this. Look at the honor in this. And, you know, he kind of, you know, sees all these assembled, you know, clansmen and tribesmen all around him that are, you know, chanting this Wookiee's name and he sees the power there and uh, the honorable victory that uh, Dave Salura at this point breaks through the finish line and is the clear victor. Um, And he turns to you and says, all right, all right, let's talk. Excellent. And with that, he leads you into a hut uh, to talk with the other clan chiefs. Um, and, Salura, you are greeted by several scores of uh, adoring fans as you rise uh, the lift back up to the top of the tree's canopies. Um, your former competitors are humbled by your display of awesome prowess and uh, they praise your strength and honor.
1: Woohoo! Yes. <laughs>
6: and lead you in with uh, Ula to go ahead and discuss with the rest of the clan chiefs and uh, suitably impressed by your performance. Um, they proceed to agree to work out a negotiation to join the resistance alliance.
5: I draw my saber and go to work.
6: <laughs> so there you go. That is a skill challenge. They managed to accrue eight successes. They had one failure. Um, would have had probably more than that uh, without the good expenditure of some skill point of uh, some force points, but That's it. Um, So what did you guys think? Okay, players. Seriously, GN, Dave, TG. What Uh, did you like about the skill challenge mechanic? And uh, what didn't you like?
5: Well, I mean, to put my character in an element where he could very easily succeed. uh, It it seemed like a little bit of an easy skill challenge, given the fact that those are the ones that are absolutely my best things, you know?
6: Yes. Now... And Now, this brings up a very good point, and I constructed this the way I did for a very certain reason. You caked walk through those, Dave. Salura did, okay? As a GM in the future, when I give you a physical skill as part of that challenge, if the party has physical skills in a challenge, I'm going to bump that up. It's not going to be a medium DC. It's going to be a moderate DC with an equal likelihood of failure or success because I've seen how well you can handle it, and yeah. that's part of the learning experience. There you go. So All there right. you go. Yeah, for, for I me, was. it
3: wasn't, I, I agree, it was. It seemed a little easy, but it wasn't as easy for me. You know, I expected rolling with a 24, anybody that's got a plus 24 in one of their skills expects that they're going to cakewalk through anything yes. that you throw at them for that particular skill.
6: Yes, and this, you know? this brings and up it a didn't very... Happen. This brings up a very important point and one of the more difficult things to do for a skill challenge. Because one of the things the rules framework does not allow is for you to assign different DCs for different players that are using the same skill. For example, TG, sweetheart, I love you. You've tweaked that build to the point of near-broke-tasticness. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what, what is your charisma now? 20?
3: No, it's 18. Oh,
6: it's only 18. Okay. Yeah, it's so only, only 18. Only 18. You're, you're skill-focused in Persuasion. You're trained. Oh, yeah, and you got your education destiny completed, and you took a plus 5 in Persuasion. So uh-huh. you have a natural 24. Okay, again, when you work hard, you can tweak any build to breaking point, and that's what TG has done. Now, if another character in the party, say Cat's character of Oriana Venturi, um, if Ori wanted to make a Persuasion check, it would have to be against that insanely high DC. So one of the challenges I find as a GM is, in this case with two players, it was pretty easy. If I have multiple characters that are going to be tempted to use the same skill in a challenge, but one of them is severely outclassing the other, that can present a problem. Um, I find the best way to deal with that is, one of the things the book is very vague on is restricting skills. and. Brev uses this quite a bit and I really happen to like it saying, you know what, hey, can I make a persuasion check? No, you just made it a round ago. I think you need to try something else, okay? I Give you a few rounds before you can use that skill again, if you can at all. Um, therefore, that's not per character, that's for the party. So if you have multiple characters and they're resolving things in initiative order, well, you know what? The person who gets to persuasion first is the one who uses it first. The other individual doesn't necessarily get to use it for some time, potentially. So that can resolve a lot of those sticky DC issues where you have two players competing for the same skill when one's vastly outclassing the other. Um, So that's pretty much it. Well, guys, I hope that that educated you a little bit in terms of skill challenge creation and just kind of how it can be. And I'm not joking. That little skill challenge right there, it took me six minutes to write up. Um, I really didn't have a whole lot of thought put into it. If you give 15 or 20 minutes as much time as you would put into an encounter, you sit down with your player's character sheets, you can come up with something that's really dynamite and gives them a chance to shine. But again, I stress those lessons. Versatility and player ability. Look at what your players have, see what they can do, and allow them to be creative and make their own suggestions for how things are supposed to work. doesn't mean you have to buy it, but at least give them the chance. Cool. There you go.
5: There you are. (sighs) The show ends. I did not get to... uh, What I wanted to try and pull off was... As funny as it was, I wanted to pull off an acrobatics check and then ride a competitor.
6: See, stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> That's point. That's so silly, but darn it, it's awesome, okay? Other things I could have seen you doing. Um, use the force to sense local wildlife and try and stay away from it. Or sensing it and then riding it. How cinematic is that? To find, like, a beast in the depths, you know, and, and ride it to the victory point. That's awesome. Right. right. Yeah. Things of that nature.
5: There you, so. there you go. Yep.
1: So...
6: In any event, thank you all for uh, listening. And um, once again, if you guys have any questions for the Order 66 podcast, any topic suggestions, please go ahead and give us an email. GMChris at d20radio.com, GMDave at d20radio.com, tweet that goodness at d20radio.com. Call the Lusa Line, which is Dave.
5: No, it's not Dave. It's LUSA. Uh, I, t- I resemble that remark. 206 600 5872. USA on your radio dial. Just as we speak.
6: Bum, bum, bum.
5: Twitter, check us out. Twitter.com slash GM Dave.
6: Twitter.com slash GM Chris.
5: Or the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Who's silent? <laughs> the other one. Who's silent now?
3: I'm. No, I have a Twitter. I just don't know what it is. Okay. She just never uses Twitter. Last time I updated it was five months ago. <laughs>
5: Uh, I, I'm going perfect. to give a prize for my thousandth follower. That's what I think.
3: A kiss? Nothing's better than a kiss. Nothing's better than a kiss.
5: And give us a rating or a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. If you guys go into iTunes, give us a review. That would be fantastic. Might even get us back on the first page where we belong. Damn Aww. it. And I have... Uh, well, I'll wait. Th- I'll, actually, this this will wait for just a second. But um Okay so what else that's it I guess that's the end of the show damn kind of sucks It's you're it <laughs> trying to
3: pull it out longer than it needs to be Dave it's oh, the end whoa. you just gotta let it go it's done
6: it's let done. it go it's done just, just I it say it's done this is GM Chris wishing you peace love and good gaming
5: let them keep them dice rolling
3: may they be full of the force D20 Radio where
4: gamers roll
1: host show.
5: Okay, I have
6: something to say.
5: Very Um
6: funny. Uh, I meant to say this at the end of the uh, at the skill challenge we just did. Um, I I intentionally tried to rush through that gamination because I, I understand this was going to be over two hour podcast anyway. Um, but we had comments in the chat room uh, from from Dan saying, "What do, does the GM always give dialogue to his players?" TG, would you like to take that question?
3: Yes. <laughs> Under, no. understand that
6: TG is my player and I know her extremely well so would you like to take that question TG?
3: Yes, so we have some dialogue back and forth but at the same time um, we do rely a lot on you in our gaming group to give us some cute funny dialogue that happens in the in the middle of it all. because we know okay this is what I want to do but maybe I don't know how to vocalize it specifically into the situation that would make it perfect because what I say as a person is not exactly what my character would say and I don't want my GM to take exactly what I say and then say well that's not gonna work well my character's gonna say something better than that I don't me personally I don't have a plus 24 to persuasion my husband sure (laughs) as hell does he can persuade a cat to jump in a pool of water in the middle of winter <laughs> I, however, cannot do that. So when my character has a plus twenty-four, I'm gonna leave it up to him a lot of the times to to say what my character is gonna say. So um, yeah, that yeah. is an
6: instinctive relationship from t- between TG and I that has been honed over years of gaming together. Um, I guarantee you, I never do that with Cat or Brev.
3: Oh, Brev, no. <laughs> no. No, because Brev has plenty to say. <laughs> I yeah. don't need to say
6: anything. I just say, okay, you succeed. Okay, I tell him this. Yeah. And Dave is I pretty can't... verbose, too, but you didn't have a whole lot to say during your particular part of the skill challenge, sir.
5: No, and, and I wouldn't because I was a combatant in a sort of a physical challenge, so there wasn't, there's not a whole lot of dialogue to be had there. I'm just yes. telling you what my character's going to do. and. And for the most part, what it sounds like is that, you know, you've got you've got GMs that are hardcore role-playing GMs. It sounds like Dan is one of those. You know, I'm not going to do jack shit for you because you need to role-play this out. And you've got other GMs that are not as role-play intensive, and they can kind of go with it and fill in the blanks. So to each their own. I'm not going to say one is right and one is not right.
6: I think there has to be a balance. I think Dan danced at that too in the chat room, and I agree. Yeah. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is, I rushed through that skill challenge for with, with with good intent, Gamer Nation. I sincerely hope that when you're running these things, you will take serious time with each check and each round, and give your players ample time to make their own comments and their own descriptions of how the checks play out.
3: See, I personally didn't feel like it was rushed. That's for me, I, understand- I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, but
6: that's how because you and I have that instinctive relationship. I understand how you like it to play out and the role you expect me to provide for you. So. Yeah.
3: That's yeah. And, that, and that's part of what makes you really good, GM. You know, and De, uh, uh, Brev does the exact same thing. He does the exact same thing for me when I tell him this is what I want my character to do and kind of what I want her to say. Yeah. He will. He will put it into context for the story. Yes. And that because I sure as hell couldn't come up with it. (laughs) As great as y'all two could.
5: You know who else does a real good job of that is DM Tim.
6: Tim is great. Tim is an excellent storyteller.
5: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, to each their own. I I personally enjoy a GM who can be a storyteller and I don't have to work as hard in the role-playing aspect because I don't do very good at it, so I appreciate it. So that's just me. But other (laughs) people are different, so.
6: Oh, man, the fiddleback's in the chat room. Okay, I just want to know how the Wookiees got into the hut. That can't have been easy.
3: <laughs> it was a separate skill challenge we did before the show yes, started.
6: Yes, yes, yes. Hut, not hut, hut. One, one, one less T, dude, one less T. <laughs> <laughs> As in Gilligan's
5: Island hut, not Java the hut. Oh, man. <gasps> yeah, besides, there aren't uh, too many huts in Kashyyyk. Huts, I don't think they last very long. Huts with two T's.
6: <laughs> it's like there's lots of huts on on Kashyyyk, just not too many huts with two T's. Right. Except except for those occasional Wookies with speech impediments, they yeah. live is, they, they live in hututs. Now is is <laughs> is, Hutt-hutt.
3: Is, Hutt-hutt. is a hut with two T's twice as good as a hut with Wendi Just like though. Kong, well, Kune is better than Pone.
6: Uh, it depends on what you want. You know, if you want, you know, a structure over your head that provides shelter from the rain and wind, one tea is better. If you want, you know, you know, slave girls and disgusting licking of the lips and you know grubby hands eating toads Nasty. out of a bucket, two Nasty. teas is much better.
5: Nasty. Two yeah. teas, much, much better for that. Q. One more than P mm. is better. Alright, so episode one hundred. King Probably I'm going to I'm going to say that there is a greater than 38.7% chance that we will not have episode 100 until April the 11th. Really? But I'm not 100% positive about that. Why the delay? Well, the 4th is Easter and quite frankly with me being out of town almost all week, I I don't have faith that we're going to have the show ready. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. We got a lot of production to do, don't we? We
5: have a lot of production to do. We have a lot of guests to wrangle and I'm gonna be out of town most of the week. So You're right, you are. Okay. Yeah, so
6: Well Gamer Nation, don't despair. Um we'll keep you posted on the forums either way.
5: Yep.
3: But we're just delaying it so that way it can be that much more Right. Cunage.
6: That Cun- much Cun- more cunage.
5: You never yeah, know. Right. We might do like half the show next week and then half the show. You never know. I mean, hey, that's why you need to be available for the often somewhat pseudo-functioning uStream. (laughs) So
3: and hey, and and everybody can be there for the special announcement that D twenty is going to become D twenty two.
6: I'm I'm disconnecting. I'm disconnecting. I'm
3: (laughs) disconnecting. You'd be much like here. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100th episode, D22 Radio yeah. is now live. Dude,
6: so we're talking like it could be three weeks until the next episode? See,
5: I don't want to do that, though.
3: <sighs> but if you're if you're going to make something as awesome as the 100th episode needs to be, you don't want to rush these things. Yeah. See, if that's what it has to be, that's what uh, it has to
6: be. I, I would agree. And I agree that Easter Sunday is not going to work. So no. it's, either, it's either next weekend and you're gone four days out of this coming week, Dave. And we have a lot of pre-production to do. Um, crap, Bola. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs> Foo. Um, crap. Okay. We'll see. We'll keep, we'll see. You, we'll we'll see. keep you updated, Gamera Nation. I'll try and do as much as I can. Um, but Dave is the technical genius, so. We
5: will try and do what we can when we can do it. Yeah. So anyway, you know, hey, what are you going to do? What
6: are you going to do? So, dude, TG and I got new shoes.
5: Yeah, I saw them in pre-show. Those feet things.
6: Vibram Five Fingers, V I B R I M. You can look them up on Google, and um, like you can only buy them online or at a select number of specialty running ah! stores. Yes, thank you. Um, t- neither T G nor myself run.
3: <laughs> no, I uh, used to in high school, yeah. but Tim, it's, 12 years ago.
6: Like some, some bright boy got the idea of making sneakers that are basically just gloves for your entire foot, complete with a full rubber sole and little, like, separate toes in the entire shoe, and these are the most comfortable things I've ever worn in my life. I wish I could wear them to work. It's like walking around barefoot, but you can walk on gravel and glass and dirt. And-
3: See, I first heard about them because I can wear them to work, and one of my coworkers started wearing them, and then my um, director... My boss's boss started wearing them and everybody started making fun of him for it. So, they it's interesting when you put them on, Dave. They're like you feel like you've you're springy. It's weird cuz you've got less shoe on your foot. You've actually got less shoe, but you feel lighter. You feel and, free. And your you your posture changes. My hips started popping when I started walking around in them. Because the, it shifted it shifted me forward. And I think part of it is because it spreads your toes out. So it gives you more surface area that you of where your feet are touching the ground. And you're leaning forward a little bit more on, on your toes. Mm. They're very comfortable. Wow. Okay. It gives you better posture. It's, it's very strange, but they're cool. really cool.
6: Oh, dude. And you're going to be gone most of this week. I'm pissed off. I got a new board game I was going to bring up. We could have a gaming lunch. I want you to try it. What's it called? Roma.
5: Oh, that was the Krista talked into, wasn't it? Um,
6: yeah, dude. It and it was great. Um, the the owner of uh, Madness, where we're gonna have the D twenty radio event on the seventeenth. Um, he uh, yeah, dude. I was just looking around at some games, and he's like, "You're looking, you're, I mean, dude." And the dude, the dude, they just moved to a new location. The guy's been working eighteen days straight. He hasn't slept in about three days. He's sick. And yet he finds time to talk to us and arrange all this and meet with us. And the guy's tired. He wants to go home. And yet he sees me looking around the store and he says, hey, man, are you looking for a game? You need help? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm looking for maybe a two-player game, something to play with my wife. And he's like, well, have you played Roma? No, I haven't. Well, let me get my copy and we will play. And we played and it was awesome.
3: Um, It It was really good. I kicked your ass.
6: Second time you kicked my yeah. ass.
5: All right.
3: So speaking
5: of ass kickage, <laughs> can I? Can I, I? I wanted to say this one thing earlier. Okay. Sure. All right. So, um, Words with Friends is an app that I play on, um, on my iPhone. Right. It's like Scrabble. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I play this game all the time. I have yet to actually lose a game. And. That's because
3: you haven't played me. But go on. Well, I just got
5: my ass—I just got my ass handed to me twice. Ooh. Twice by the same Ooh. freaking family.
6: Who had the pleasure
5: of doing that? Uh, and they both beat me by over a hundred freaking points. I mean, Whoa. I usually score in the three hundreds, or may, or even over a four hundred. Sometimes, like when I dropped a hundred and twelve point word on on poor uh, Chris, our friend Chris, not you, Chris. Um, yeah. Uh yeah, I scored 259 in one of them and 280 in the other, and I got my ass handed to me. Uh Yeah, this is... Well, you guys remember Courtney, who was on the show and talked about Taylor Swift, and you guys liked her. Was, yeah. This is her mother and her father, both mechanical uh, engineers and um, or electrical in Africa. I think she's electrical and he's mechanical. I don't remember. Damn it. Anyhow, but, they're and, intelligent and, people. They both beat the crap out of me.
3: Maybe that's why... They beat the crap out of you because you can't remember simple things like mechanical and electrical engineering. Yeah, Maybe.
6: seriously, you—it's—it's it's clear <laughs> your linguistic skills are lacking, Dave. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> so
5: anyway, I have to—I have to do a rematch because I was just looking at my phone and uh, other stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I can't believe it. I'm really upset by this. Anyway, yeah, we're going—we're going on two and a half hours, and I got to get out of here. So,
6: okay, well, short post show, but a good post show. Right. Thank you, Gamer Nation. Good night.
3: Yes. Good night.
5: And good luck.